By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, the podcast that delves into the minds of entrepreneurs, creators, and other inspiring people to uncover their journeys towards finding joy and fulfillment at work and in life. My name is Ali, and in each episode, I chat to my guests about the philosophies, strategies, and tools that have helped them along the path to living a life of happiness and meaning. This week, I chatted to YouTuber, content creator, and now best-selling author, Jade. In the episode, we have a very productive conversation about finding balance within hustle culture, motivation, book writing, reshaping the definition of career, the law of attraction, opinions around toxic productivity, and much, much more. You know, we love a side hustle, it's great, but not at the detriment of killing yourself in the process. Yeah. You'll leave this episode with techniques for living with intention, including Jade's hashtag casual magic mantra, a ton of study techniques and productivity hacks, and a little more perspective about what it really means to live a productive and meaningful life and career. Jade, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. You're very this welcome. is so strange because I have seen this setup for years and now here I am. Here we are. Yeah. Last time we spoke was about a year ago. Yeah. Maybe more, more than a year ago. Um, on like a live stream. And so this is the first time we're meeting in the flesh. I know, nice you in 3D. Me in 3D, yeah. <laughs> and you've been kind of jet setting all around the world, like Korea and San Francisco and Berlin and stuff. And now you're in the UK for a few weeks. Yeah, We found time, found time to do this thing. Yeah. How, how has all the traveling been? <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. So I studied in South Korea last semester, which was amazing. Like, uh, just so culturally different, mm. but it was so nice being able to experience with all my uni friends as well. Awesome. Um, I feel like, also, some people watching this or listening to this might not know who you are. So I wonder if we do a quick kind of dive into your backstory and then we'll come along to talking about this, this bad boy, um, the book. It's such a pretty book. It's like so nice. It's like so well done. Uh, but we'll, we'll gush about the book in a moment. How would you describe what you do if someone asks you, like you're at a party or something and someone's like, so what do you, what do you do? How do you, how do you oh, answer that God. question? Oh, that's a tough question. It's a tough question. Yeah. Ooh, um, I say, so I make videos, yeah. <laughs> just short answer, long answer. Um, so I guess I started in a space of YouTube called StudyTube. I feel like most of you are very familiar with StudyTube and the productivity space. Um, yeah, and kind of talking about my journey of GCSEs and A-levels, things that help me, study tips, productivity advice, mm. all of that good stuff. Uh, and then I took a gap year and I vlogged my travels and my journey there. And I think especially as someone who was always, you know, very into academics. It was a big leap out of my comfort zone in my gap year. So it was cool taking people along that journey. And now that I'm at university, I make study content about that, but it also follows just my life and living with intention. And yeah, trying to trying to inspire people to love themselves, go out of their comfort zone, that kind of thing. That's a pretty good, a pretty good like pitch. The trying to inspire people to love themselves, get outside the, their comfort zone. Has it, has it always been that? like since you started the channel or has the sort of the thing that you're trying to inspire people to do has that evolved over time yeah um i think when i first started just in the study space it was a lot more niche the goal it was you know just trying to help people feel less stressed about school so whether that was equipping them with more tools you know study techniques trying to reduce the stress that you feel when you've got an exam coming up um, but over time it's definitely evolved to be more holistic about you as a human, as deep as that sounds. Nice. Like I like to talk about things like 
loneliness and all these struggles that we find or perfectionism, fear of failure. Yeah, and I guess school is one element of that, but now it's more holistic. How do you decide what you want to talk about? Um, okay, so I have like a brain dump place on my Notion. No <laughs> love Notion. Same. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and I have it on my phone, I have it on my yeah. laptop. And whenever I have a random idea or I've read a book or listen to a podcast that just sparks something, I'll just mm. drop it there. And then I kind of, I think similar to you, I have a Kanban board and I sort of drag ideas yeah. that are like, oh, okay, this is like an actual idea. And whenever I have a dull moment, I sit mm. and sort of script it out. And then when I come to film, I sort of just select from these scripts I've already got. How do you think about this balance between will this video perform well on the stats versus yeah. is this a video that I want to make personally? Oh, it's a tough one. Because um, I think as you start to do YouTube, you definitely know what will do better and worse. I, I start to think about value and impact um, in less just a numerical sense, but also thinking, okay, this might be a really niche topic, but if you watch this and you got a lot of value from it, like that should mean more to me than just, you know, like 200K views. So it's kind of this balance between what I really like making, what I think will create the most impact, but not necessarily be the most like widely reaching. And then a few videos, which get some new people in, I guess. That's a pretty good way of looking, about it, of looking at it. I've kind of been thinking similarly as well. Like we were, we were having a content planning brainstorming session this morning mm. and there were a couple of videos where I was like, I know the video is not going to do well, yeah. but I know it's like a good video to make. And yeah. it's the sort of video that I want to make because it's like the right, the right sort of impact. So it's cool that you're also thinking in those terms, because I feel like we, we've both been doing YouTube for like four and a bit years now. Yes. Um, and so I, I feel like for me, definitely at the start, it was a, I just need to get videos out and this for is For cool. sure. Yeah. And like almost uh, yeah. make a name for yourself too, <laughs> like views that seem the most yeah. important. Yeah. No, exactly. And then uh, I think for me about a year or two, I was like, oh, I became like numbers focused, thinking about the algorithm mm. a lot. And now I'm kind of like in a stage where I'm trying not to think about the algorithm as much as possible. Yeah. No, I think you've got a good thing going too, because you post so much content mm. that like the perfectionism about it changes, right? You're yes. just like, just post, <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> it's got to be done. Yeah. And especially for posting like three videos, then not all three of those videos needs to go viral, right? Mm. So then it allows you to play around more and just do stuff that makes you happy. But yeah. So uh, your your strategy for YouTube in the early days is, is quite interesting. And I, and I often use you as an example when I'm speaking to other, other kind of like wannabe YouTubers, where one approach to YouTube is just like make a load of stuff and you'll be really bad initially and you'll get good over your first 100 videos and then mm. you can start thinking about what to make stuff about. But when we last spoke, you said that your approach was a little bit different. Can you can you tell us a little bit about what was your approach to YouTube back in the day in, in 2017? Yes. Um, okay, so I think I had this thing in my head similar to being a, a study person was I need to study YouTube a bit before I just dive right in. Mm. And so I chose this arbitrary date in the future. It was two months down the line, February 17th, I still remember. And between now and February 17th, I'm going to teach myself how to edit. I'm going to learn a little bit about SEO optimization, all these things I knew nothing about. I'm gonna go on YouTube on the creator side and, and do some learning there. Yeah. And I feel like that gave me a lot of confidence in not only the kind of content I wanted to make, but also felt like, okay, cool. Like I can make videos that hopefully someone will wanna watch. And obviously you do learn a lot through the journey, but my approach was sort of work that out beforehand. Yeah. Okay. And how did that go in, in the early days? Quite well. I think I got quite lucky though, because I found this niche of YouTube where like people clearly wanted it, but it wasn't really a thing yet. 
Um, so my first few videos, obviously they got like 50 views, like li literally yeah. nothing. Um, but I was already getting comments from people saying that there was a va like value here. And that was something that made me know I was on the right track. And then in April of that year, I went from 400 subscribers to 10,000 in a week which is very Damn. rare and I know. <laughs> and it was like my embarrassing little channel that I had suddenly became like, oh wow, it's like she actually has a channel now. So from 400 um, subscribers to 10,000 in a week. Yeah. And what did that feel like? Oh my God, it was insane because I was on the Easter holidays and I was in year 12. So, you know, I, I go on to the Easter holidays and I have an embarrassing channel mm. and then I come back and all of a sudden people just know about it, my embarrassing channel. Mm. And I had a chemistry, like my chemistry teacher came up to me and she was like, we've all watched your videos in the staff room. And that was like a very real moment for me wow. being like, wow, like God, people are seeing me in my bedroom at home, like even my teachers. Um, yeah, it was very weird, like hard to process, hmm. for sure. And did you have any sort of background in video stuff or was it like Not completely self-taught? No, completely self-taught. Well, that's the beauty of YouTube is you can learn from YouTube. Yeah, and the, the, this thing about embarrassing channel, like how did, how did you, because even today, it's kind of cringy having a YouTube channel, Which especially in the crazy, early days. Right? Yeah, because yeah, uh, we idolize YouTube. No, exactly. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like I've spoken to so many people who spend a lot of time on TikTok. And if, I, mm. if I've asked them, have you thought about creating a TikTok? Oh, gosh, I could never do that. And, what, and if I dig down, it's often uh, embarrassment and cringe yeah. are the two words that, that come up. But you refer to your channel as like your embarrassing channel, but you, but you did it anyway. So like how, yeah. how were you thinking about like the embarrassment cringe factor of having a YouTube channel early, early on? Okay, so I have a theory mm. that if you hide it, it gives people a reason to make fun of it. Because mm. it's like, if you're trying to hide it, then clearly it's, there's something embarrassing about it. So I did the opposite. I remember I put on my Instagram page, which was just full of like friends and family. Oh, hey guys, I'm starting this YouTube channel and I'm really proud of it. And that sort yeah. of means people can't touch it now yeah. because I'm claiming that I'm proud of it. Yes, and it would be mean for them to then be like, exactly. make fun of it. Exactly, yep. And so I think the more that you can own it, even if secretly you feel embarrassed, mm the less people can say anything negative about it. Okay, so you just yeah. pretend like you're totally cool with it and like yeah. hashtag blessed and hashtag proud and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, hashtag fake it till you make it. <laughs> Amazing. Did you get much kind of hate back in the day? Oh my God, do you know what my first ever piece of hate was? It sounds so stupid now that I say it. Um, so someone said that I look like a horse. <laughs> which I, I was gonna end differently <laughs> you know, like oh like you have such a horse face which would have been fine right yeah. like receiving that once but then they started commenting on every single video like oh hey horse face like oh your nose just looks like a horse <laughs> and it actually really got to me and I remember um I would like look at myself in the mirror and be like do I look like a horse mm. um yeah so I think you know when you're not accustomed to receiving online hate yeah. it's like anything mildly negative is really new and weird but yeah i think over time you numb yourself to it a yeah. little bit yeah so it's it's four years on now your channel is yeah. like absolutely enormous and like ridiculously successful by any sort of reasonable Aww. metrics um how do you think about the hate aspect of it these days like do you get much hate these days i think it like fluctuates yeah but of course it's always going to be there it's been there since the start hmm. less horse face comments okay. yeah. now um yeah i think Part of it is like just thinking about all the positive people that you're impacting mm. and trying to like remember in those moments where you get, you know, 10 comments which are hateful, that you have a thousand of mm. people who whose life you changed, whose day you changed, who you made smile, any, any of these moments. Um, yeah, like that stuff is more important. 
but then the brain just I don't yeah. know it's, like, it's, not, it's not great is it because it's so funny you can get a thousand of those comments and you don't remember them like you do that one bad one mm-hmm. so I think it depends on my own mental state like if I'm really stressed at uni or other things are going on that are bad in my life I find it affects me a lot more mm. whereas if I'm in a really good state then it's like well shut up <laughs> yeah I know what you mean it's it's kind of the same for me I think if the mm. first few years I like I didn't really get many hate comments at all and when I would it was just kind of be funny but recently there have been like quite a few like very specifically targeted ones where I mm. sort of feel like it is starting to affect me and it, and it, it is often related to what else is going on in life yeah for sure do um, you tend to reply to them or block them or leave it what's your strategy I, I would never reply to them. Like, occasionally I would, like, heart them and stick them on my Instagram story. Oh, yeah, that's quite funny, If they're funny. Yeah. Uh, but the ones that are, like, really sort of close to the bone, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to just kind of look at it and then I, I'll ignore it. Um, I was speaking to a few other YouTuber friends who get far more hit comments on, like, mm. tech videos and things. And they just delete them and, like, hide the user from their channel. Mm-hmm. So, it, like, they can still, the user can still comment and still sees their own comments, but no one else that's sees true. their comments. Yeah. Um, and I, like, initially I thought that that's a bit of a, a weird strategy. Like, why wouldn't you want the hit comments on the videos? Then these guys were saying that like like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the comments are really nice, mm. and most people will scroll down the comments and see what's going on. Yeah. And like even if someone wasn't thinking something negative about a video, if they yeah. see a negative comment about you or about the video, it will color their impression of you and so the channel true. and stuff. It's like giving someone a new lens to see yeah. you through. And so like their their strategy is like yeah, if you notice anything negative, just like delete it. Mm. And I've been doing that recently, and it's like whoa. <laughs> is it freeing? It's freeing. It's yeah. like I can't just delete this comment, and yeah. then I have to worry about it. <laughs> That's so cool. So it's, yeah, it's, it's like you're taking the yeah. power back. You're like, this is my comment section yeah this is i can do what i want yeah. yeah you can do what you want that's awesome um so we're, we're we're four years in and while at university while doing youtube you found the time to write and publish a book yes <laughs> how like what was the how how did how did this how did this start yeah okay um god should we go back to the beginning let's go back to the beginning okay, was it cool. august 2020 Yes, although before that, mm. I'd always wanted to write a book in this space. Mm-hmm. Actually, the first job I ever wanted to have was to be an author, but of fiction. So I've always loved writing. Mm. I wrote Wattpad fan fiction. Oh, hello. I was that person. Uh, link in the video description. <laughs> oh, no, no, thank you. Um, oh my God, it's so tragic. I read it back the other day. It's, oh, yeah? it's embarrassing. Uh, what were we writing fan fiction about? If I say it, I know people are going to go find it, but but it was a cross between the Di- Divergent and The Hunger Games. Okay, nice. Yeah, yeah but with like that. more saucy elements. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Same characters? Yeah, no, some. Okay. It was like a follow-on. It was like the kids of some of the characters. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. And I yeah. guess there was some kind of love story in there somewhere. Of course, you've got to have some romance. Okay. I had no romance in my life at like 14. So okay. it's just like, I would live it through my fan fiction. And, you know, I, I'd name all the characters after my friends in real life. And then this is just like the most indirect, non-controversial way of dealing with uh, friendships. Mm. But if something was going wrong in a relationship in real life, I could just kill off a character with this. <laughs> you know? So were you, were you writing like a, se- a series of fan fiction? Um, no, it was just one really long fan fiction of like 100,000 words. Bloody hell. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like every morning before school, I would just write another chapter for all my fans. And people were reading this stuff in, yeah. when you were 14? Yeah. 
how, how, how does that work? Like, I have, I have zero experience with the Wattpad oh side God. of the world you at all. Oh, my God, you missed out. Yeah. No, Wattpad is amazing. Okay. Yeah, so it's, it's God, it's kind of like a, a social media of books. Okay. So you you decide to create a story, and then you, like, publish a chapter, and then you can just keep publishing them, and people can follow along the story and be like, oh, hey, like, waiting for the next chapter. Yeah. Wow, this chapter was amazing. And then you can say, oh, every Saturday at 10 a.m., I'm going to upload the next chapter. Oh, yeah, and then you can kind of comment and also influence the story, I guess, because the author is going to continually write it yeah. while reading comments. And is this WordPad stuff still going on? Is of it a still course. A thing? Oh, wow. It's alive and thriving. I need, to, I need to check the website out. This sounds great. <laughs> okay, so you started with um, a saucy crossover fan yes. fiction at yeah. the age of 14. Yeah. And how? And, and now we've got and now, <laughs> the, only study, <laughs> the only study guide you'll ever need. <laughs> no source, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, Okay, so when I I had the whole YouTube success, mm. I guess you could call it, um, in StudyTube, I was like, okay, cool, wow, people people are clearly interested in this. Yeah. And I know that I would have loved a book like this that discussed not just really good study tips of yeah. how to succeed, but also the more holistic elements of mm. being a student. So all the perfectionism, fear of failure, yeah. discussion that I loved talking about on YouTube. Yeah. And... I realized that in my gap year, naturally, as my life would go on, I wouldn't be talking about this stuff all the time. Mm. So I really wanted an evergreen medium where I could dig into it yeah. with all the meat that you can't always get into in a, in a YouTube video and that it could live on beyond me. Mm. Um, something where, you know, you don't have to go and watch all these bite-sized videos. You can just, like everything I've ever said online pretty much is in here and yeah. more. Yeah. Okay. So you started with a fan fiction then you decided you wanted to write the book mm -hmm. how did the sort of how did the book actually end up manifesting itself yes um so in my gap year i started writing random passages of this potential book idea i had in my mind okay. but i never really committed to making it an actual thing it was just an idea i had i remember mm -hmm. writing in my journal like i'd love to write a book on this but sort of, you know, I went to university, life takes over, I have yeah. to write all these essays, too stressful, I'm not gonna write a book. And then last summer during lockdown, I was approached by a publisher and they were pitching a book almost exactly like the one I'd written down in my journal in okay. my gap year. And it just felt like, I don't know, it just felt like a synchronicity, this, this moment of if I don't write this now, I'm probably never gonna write it. Yeah. And I know that I would have wanted to read something like this. So I said yes, knowing that it was going to be incredibly stressful to write this during my university semester mm. um, because the aim was to have it to be published in August of this year. So you got the, so you got it, so it basically like 12, 12 months ago-ish, the publisher yeah. approached you yeah. and you just bashed it out in yeah. that time. Mm -hmm. That's pretty incredible because, so for, for, for a bit of context, around the same time a publisher approached me to write a book mm -hmm. and I'm still dabbling with the proposal and like okay, it's going to be due to be released in like two years from now and i feel like such an absolute to... waste man <laughs> no we need to dig into this tell me about your proposal your fears about it <laughs> because i feel like the book for you like, i remember watching your video where mm. you know you you sort of gave up on the book yeah and it was exactly the time that i was like crying over how much I was struggling to write my own book. And I felt yeah. so validated in your video. And oh, I, I honestly wanted to give up <laughs> to it at that point. But I could relate to everything you were saying about, you know, your fears of having an audience mm. and the expectations for it to be really good. And then your personal pressure of wanting it to be like a bestseller. Yeah. Um, it's a lot. You've become a bestseller now, hasn't it? Yeah. I saw it was a, a title of your, mad. yeah, that's, that's really cool. It's really cool and unexpected. And I wasn't going for that. Okay. 
So it, it, it's kind of nice what happens. Yes. Were you, were you actually not going for that? Or were you like sort of semi going for it and like trying to convince yourself you want? Because that's sort of what I do. <laughs> yeah, I think at the start, yes. Yeah. Obviously, who doesn't want a bestseller? Yeah. And I think the beauty of having a platform is you feel like it, you know, it could be within it's reach like, too. Within reach, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think during the writing process, every time I had to sit down to write, I was just filled with so much dread. Yeah because every single word had to be a best-selling word. And like every paragraph I'd read back and be like, but is this a best-selling mm. paragraph, you know? And, and I'm comparing it to all these incredible books like Atomic Habits or, you know, books yeah. that have changed my life yeah. and thinking, okay, but this is nowhere near that standard. Yeah. Um, so I think in order for me to finish it, I had to reshape my narrative around okay. what I wanted my book to be in order to finish it. And what did you change that? What was that narrative in the end? Okay, um, kind of how I do with perfectionism in general mm. is firstly finish it. Yeah. Like don't overthink yeah. every single word you're writing, just get it down, you can edit it in the process. Yeah. Um, but secondly, I think actually, I, maybe the first time I heard this was you telling me, was there are no unique messages. <laughs> there are only unique messengers. And yeah. that's always stuck with me. The fact that, you know, this doesn't have to totally reinvent the wheel. Yeah. It's already being reinvented through the fact that it's coming through my mouth, mm. I guess, through my experiences and sort of finding value in whatever I have to share. And clearly there's something valuable about it because I've been able to build a platform off of talking about these things. Yeah. So that was also this confidence boost of being like, Jade, you have something to share. Yeah. It just doesn't always feel like it's that valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I, I suppose when, when you're writing a book, it's, it's like, this is a book and yeah. a, a book feels like a big deal. Yeah. A YouTube video doesn't feel like a big deal. Cool. Although, like, weirdly, you know, your YouTube videos will, will, will get more views than yeah. almost oh, anyone will sure. ever sell any copies of a book yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's weird that, like, you know, you can get a million views on a YouTube video. If you had a million copies of a book oh. sold, you'd be, like, kind of world famous, oh, like, sure. Atomic yeah, Habits, James Clear Level, like, yeah. life-changing. Um, but there's something about writing a book that yeah. just makes it feel like a really big deal. Um, and I, I don't know if you have this, but, like... I like, like basically every week I need to be told that my experience is valuable. Mm -hmm. What I have to say does have, does have worth because I always think like, why the hell would anyone give a toss what Amen. I have to say about yeah. anything? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. How, yeah. how did you kind of go about like approach that, oh my God. that side of it? I feel like I still struggle with that. Even the thought of like talking about the book and marketing the book, even yeah. though like I'm so proud of this thing, yeah. there's still a part of me that doesn't like talking about the book because I'm so scared that like it's not good enough. Mm. Okay. Like the imposter syndrome, yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. Yeah. Because you're not an author, you're just a person, right? Mm. A person who's written a book. But that is what an author is. Yes. And that's how, very much how I feel. I feel like I'm a person who's written a book, not an author. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think just support, like having good people around you, like you said, being told that your work yeah. is good, is good. Like I, um, I have an editor and I force her to have a call with me every mm. week. Mm. And I force her to like go through my work with me and also just kind of like validate that it was decent. Yeah. And I also sent it out to like teachers and students mm. and got feedback from people who I guess said it was all right. And yeah. then I was like, wow, okay, then I might as well keep going. Okay. I think that's helpful. Yeah. So there's a thing called London's L London Writer Salon, which is like, um, they have like in-person events, but they also have like four times a day writer's hour which is like a zoom co-working session Ooh. and so i joined this for the first time like uh, last week and there were like 300 people there and it was people from all around the world joining at different time zones and it was facilitated by this person mm. who is an author and they had like five minutes at the start 
where is it free oh it's free yeah you just join it's like a zoom call um oh it was it was like a really good poem about combating imposter syndrome oh, as an author and share I, I, it with us the, the problem is i can't remember where i saved it this is the issue with having like a zillion note-taking apps mm-hmm. um where oh yeah it was this um this guy called garth greenwell who's apparently an author um, and and in in this like London writers group, every every time they do a session, they share words of wisdom to keep you going as as a writer. We love that. So this is the quote. Um, I remember thinking, as an MFA student, that the anxiety I felt would lessen when I got an agent. Then when I sold a book. Then when I got my edits. Then when the book was published. Then when I got my first review. Then when I got a particular review. Then when I finished a second book. Then when I sold a second book, etc. At each point, the content changes, but the anxiety remains the same. Mm. The only time the anxiety lessens is when I'm bent over my notebook, doing the only work that matters, trying to write a decent sentence, then another decent sentence, then one good page and another. I was like, oh, this is like really nice and wholesome, like extremely relatable. Yeah, for sure. We're going to take a very quick break to introduce our sponsor for this episode, and that is Brilliant. I've been using Brilliant for the last two plus years. They're a fantastic platform for learning maths, science, and computer science with engaging and interactive online courses. And the great thing about Brilliant is that they really teach stuff from a very first principles-based approach. It's almost like the way that we were taught in places like Oxford and Cambridge, where you learn a concept and then you apply the concept to an interesting problem rather than just being spoon fed stuff like we initially learned in school. My favorite courses on Brilliant are the computer science ones. Uh, as some of you guys might know, I was torn between applying to medicine and computer science. I went for medicine in the end, but I always had an affinity to computer science and taking the courses on Brilliant, like their introduction to algorithms and their introduction to Python, really helped me get more of a grasp of computer science than I've ever had before. It's also great for learning how to code, which is an incredibly useful skill to have, especially if you want to start a business. And I attribute like 98% of my business success to the fact that I learned how to code when I was in second school. So if you want to check out the courses on math, science, and computer science, then head over to brilliant.org forward slash deep dive. And the first 200 people to sign up with that link will get 20% off the annual premium subscription. So thank you, Brilliant, for sponsoring this episode. Wait, so where are you at? So you have you made multiple proposals, but none of them feel good enough? I remember you writing like a manuscript too. Yeah. Um, so we're on the third version of the proposal and they, this now feels good. So it's taken 12 months to get to the yeah. point where it, yeah, like yeah, yeah. finally the proposal feels good. And my agent and editor said the sort of the soft deadline is the end of this week. Um, and so I'm going to do a little sesh tonight doing chapter outlines. Oh, I've got amazing. a call with one of my one yeah. of my helpers tonight at 9 p.m. doing some more like chapter yeah. outline stuff. And then we figure out the sample chapter. Wow. <laughs> but like the weird thing about a proposal, as you know, is you've got to pretend like you've written the thing For before sure. you've actually written the yeah, thing. Yeah, like yeah. what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> like, why it's work? useful and yeah. all the value of it and the structure, the whole arc. Yeah, it's crazy. How, how did you go about structuring structuring yours? What, what was the what was the process yeah i think what was helpful for me is i already kind of had an idea of what i wanted to do in my gap year yeah. so i'd already written some passages and mm. sort of had these chapter outlines but that was when i'd only done school so now i sort of had this more life experience from university and there were things i wanted to add um so i sort of just blurted out everything that i would want to include mm-hmm. um and then sort of just found a structure for me it wasn't actually too hard to structure it okay yeah, I think I'm overthinking value. Like quite a lot. Yeah, don't overthink it. <laughs> okay. Just write it. <laughs> and then it, it what were, you, were you like Google Docs or Notion? Like what was your... Notion. Notion. Yeah. And you could just like drag bits around and be like, that goes exactly. there, that goes there. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds reasonable. Okay. Notebook and Notion. Okay. I think I'm just overthinking this. Yeah. I'm thinking like, oh, I need to have the perfect structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone keeps telling me that it's, like, it's just a proposal. It can always change. Okay, I'm <laughs> interested as well. Because I feel like you also have people involved in your book, mm. right? Helping you out with it. Do you think that adds pressure or do you think it's helpful? I think it's helpful, Mm -hmm. Um, but one thing I've realized over the last 12 months is that 
I can't lean too much on other people mm. because really like no one knows what they're doing. And <laughs> <laughs> we're all just making it up as we go along. And yeah. I've kind of realized this, that I think I was hoping that I'd be able to like hire someone who's like worked on books before and just like they would produce something magical. Mm. Um, and what it took me a year, the last year to realize is that and, and, and something of quite a few of them have said about themselves is like, look, if we could write a book, we would be writing books. We would mm. be helping authors write books. Yeah. And so really it comes from the author and they just kind of mold it into shape. Um, and the other thing is that like that, that thing of you, that, that you said that, you know, you've built an audience through sharing your, the stuff that's authentic to you. Authentic to you. Yeah. And so that should probably be the stuff that's in the book yeah. rather than thinking that someone else could like, I don't know, mine your brain for all the stuff and turn it into this magical, like life-changing thing. Yeah. Um, so it's really nice having people helping to sort of sanity check me. Mm. And it's really like validating when I'm, I think, yes, I think I've got the perfect structure and I share it with someone and they're like, oh, this is really good. Um, I bet it, that feels amazing. That feels amazing. It's yeah. like, oh, thank God. I'm not, yeah, just, it's not just in my God. head. <laughs> Been a year, you know? um, but yeah, I think if I had, if I, if I didn't have anyone helping with it and I just, we're, I just did it myself, I suspect I probably would have got to a similar point sooner um and just not like overthought absolutely everything because mm. there is a point of like too many cooks potentially spoiling the broth yeah sometimes did, and, did you have that at all um so i purposely like didn't get too many people involved mm. because yeah i feel like with me i feel judged if i'm sharing it all like all the ideas with yeah. too many people because sometimes i have to like have an idea and then flesh it out and write it a bit first mm. before i want to share it so i feel like if i was like I don't know, share an idea with someone in a Zoom call and then it was shot down straight away. I wouldn't even give it any life or flesh that thing out that yeah. I thought could be good. Um, so yeah, so for me, it was really helpful just having an editor. You know, one person, she's like deep in my book, understands me, yeah. understands the vision. I talk with her once a week, but not like overdoing it with the overthinking. But then that's just like me as a person. Interesting. So there, there, there's this book I'm reading called... I think it's called Radical Candor and they talk, it's it's Ooh. it's sort of, yeah, a sort of management businessy type book. Um, and they tell, they, the author tells a lot of stories from her time working at Google and working at Apple um, and around this idea of creativity. And she, she says that the mistake a lot of people make is that they don't realize that when something is just an idea, mm. it's actually very, very fragile. Mm. And you don't want to anyone to shoot that idea down while it's fragile. You want them to help build it up while it's fragile. And then once it's built up, at that point, you want people to start trying to poke holes in it. And that was like a real revelation for me because I think I do the thing of I, ha I have a half-baked idea yeah. and then I share it with someone and they yeah. shoot it down and then I think, okay, well, that's a stupid yeah. idea. And then you don't flesh it and out. I don't flesh it yeah. out. But I'm like, I, like, obviously a half-baked idea is very easy to shoot down and I need to flesh it out or yeah. help get people to help flesh it out before then, you know, put, presenting it to the world for it to be shot down. Yeah. If that makes sense. That's so interesting. Yeah. Do you feel like you've learned a lot about yourself through the process of trying to write this book? Yeah. I do. I'm curious, like, what have you learned about yourself? And then I'll, I'll share mine so far. <laughs> um, firstly, I think I procrastinate so much more yeah. when I have, like, loads of expectations about something. You know, I want this to be good. I want it to change people's lives. I want it yeah. to be a bestseller. All of these unnecessary things that I'm applying to something that, you know, isn't even there yet. It hasn't even been written. Um, yes. And... Uh, secondly, I really need like a solid space, like a writing routine around a place. Oh, what yeah. does that look like for you? Like for me, um, I had a cafe 
in Seoul that I when I went there I would never bring other people I wouldn't like go on my phone like I had complete sanctity of space over this little cafe and I'd go there and I would just sit for like three hours and write and then leave and like as soon as I stopped writing I would leave and for me that was like the most productive time of writing the book at any point was when I had developed that that place yeah amazing I feel like that's what I'm missing in my life right now because I'm trying to do the writing kind of here and there, sometimes at home, sometimes at like WeWork, but it's always mm. in the middle of other things. And I never have like a clear yeah. three hour block to just write stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, because like you, I guess, have many things on your mind, right? You have YouTube, you have like other work, yeah, it's kind of other you, stuff. You know, YouTube, university, yeah. like everything. But that's sort of why, yeah, up. you yeah. should have that. Because like I was doing uni, like I had a uni essay due yeah. all the time. I had like two essays a week sometimes. The social life, the YouTube, everything. That if I didn't have the separation, I don't think I would have written anything. What was your like? How, what was your routine like? Was it like mm-hmm. writing every day? Writing like uh, I couldn't like? write every day because yeah. uni was just <laughs> yeah. like too much. I'd write like a few times a week, but based off of my schedule. Okay. So um, I would block off in my calendar like three hours mm. to go to that cafe, uh, and I would just sit there and write. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna start doing this from like today, just blocking out time to write. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> just haven't, haven't haven't really been doing that. Um, and it's like surprisingly hard to make progress in like 20 minute to half an hour segments here and there. For sure. Like you need that I, yeah. like uninterrupted time to just yeah. think and get stuff down. I actually feel like the first 20 minutes is like, I just write crap, you know? Like I, you just sit there to write to get mm. yourself into the flow, but the good stuff doesn't come until like an hour in. Mm. Yeah, and then you have like a really good hour session of writing yeah. after that. And, and, and did you find as well that like writing stuff down helps you think stuff through? Oh, for sure. Because I also find that I get off topic in my mind if I'm not writing it down. So it's like, okay, cool. I know I want to talk about X, like this thing in my head. So let me like think about it. Let me try and develop it in my head. It's not going to happen. If anything, I'm going to start overthinking something else or... Yeah. So definitely thinking through on paper is the best. And then you can read back this horrible thing you've written and turn it into something good. Nice. (laughs) So it sounds like, so from from August through to March, you were sort of chipping away at, at writing this thing yes yeah what happens then in the book publishing slash editing process mm. like, what, does it, what does it look like oh my god it's fascinating there's so many parts to publishing that i just didn't even know existed mm. um so yeah so it went through my editor then it went through a different editor then it went through a different editor and then there's someone called a proofreader who literally just goes and like checks for grammar mistakes. And what the editors do is they just check for kind of grammar mistakes too, but just like will reword sentences if they sound horrible. Mm. Um, And the beauty of that process is it's really collaborative. So like everything's like, you know, sent back to me. Do you like how I've reworded this sentence? And I'm like, no, like let's change that back. Um, But they don't do any major changes. It's just like small things. And then after it's been sent through a proofreader, it gets typeset, which is fancy you know it's just someone's whole job to put the words on a page um yeah so then all of the like production side comes in they do the illustrations i got to collaborate with the designer on that and then the cover was happening the whole time while i was writing and how did they pick how did you slash they pick the title Mm -hmm. oh the the title the only study guide you'll ever need yes this is this is probably the most pretentious title (laughs) of all time can you tell i didn't pick it (laughs) um yeah, I mean, it kind of says what it does on the tin, yeah. with like a bit of pretentious added in. Mm. Yeah, I think just in the the world of studying, you need something that's like, bam, yeah. you know, just is obvious what, what it is. Um, I came up with loads of 
you know, metaphorical names which were not okay. half as good. Like what? <laughs> um, I don't even remember. I had yeah. this like notion page where I just like brain dumped things, but the publisher came up with this, and I don't mind it. How how did you feel about the pretentiousness of it? Was it like a? <laughs> of course. Are you kidding? Um, I think it's the same the same imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. As if me, little old me, has decided that I've written yeah. the only study guide you will ever need, Ali. It's very pretentious, <laughs> but I don't know. I I think in the world of sales and marketing, it's yeah, great. It's like and... it's a it's a very good title. Yeah. But it's weird. I th- I think it was. Who was I speaking to? Who I, th- I think Sheen mentioned to me that you, th- maybe you mentioned in one of the videos or something mm-hmm. that you thought this was pretentious. Oh no, when we were doing research for this interview, uh, oh, there was yes. a bit a bit where you said that this title was pretentious. And that was like, I never once thought of it as a pretentious title really? un- until until I heard you mention it. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh yeah, I can, I can see how that oh, wow. is a thing. Yeah. And I imagine this is so much of like, you know, s- stuff is a bigger deal in our heads than it is to anyone else. And like the only study guide, you know, yeah, fair play, that's good title. So interesting. Like I'm I, not thinking at all that like who the hell is it's Jade Boulder to tell me is the only study guide I'll ever need, but that's probably what's going yeah, on in your head. Yeah, that's why yeah. I think every time someone looks at this book, you know, like who does she think she is? Yeah. No, I had to have so many hype up chats from friends mm. about the title of this book yeah. <laughs> after it got approved. So let's 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 talk about some of these chapters. Um, it's also like very rich. It's just a nice book. Oh, thank it's like you. It's, it's got like illustrations. It's got like. I don't know. Can we, can we, can I really show love it the on design. This angle. Ooh. It's like really pretty with like illustrate like Aww. how did how did you decide what you wanted the illustrations to be and, and like were you imagining it being like a pretty looking book from the start or more like an atomic habits esque like lots um, of text type book or what? This is definitely prettier than I thought it would be. Definitely more text heavy mm. because um, it you know you have some beautifully like illustrated um have you seen Women Don't Owe You Pretty? No. Oh, so, <laughs> so great though, yeah. Okay. I feel like it's become a trend in the book space to have like Instagrammable books yes. with, you know, with yeah, this more. Is very oh, thank yeah. you. But those are even more like illustration heavy inside. Right. Um, so I, I wanted to have an element of that, that's something, you know, you can just snap some photos for Instagram of the mm-hmm. diagrams and get something out of them and also appeal to like visual learners who might not have the time to read everything. You're controversial, visual learners. I know, true. <laughs> Dude, does that even exist? Is everyone visual learners? That's true. Um, people who say that they are visual yeah, learners. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I wanted to have this put it in practice sec- yeah, section those, as those well. Nice. So it's like, oh, you know, if I can't be bothered to read the whole chapter, I can just skim through the summary of, of the most important points. Um, I also wanted to break it up by having contributions from other people, yeah. showing their experiences. Um, but yeah, I knew it was going to be text heavy. So chapter one, motivation. Yes. Um, what's the sort of the thesis of, of what, what, what's your thesis about motivation? <laughs> oh my God, big questions, Ali. Um, okay, so in this chapter, I, well, the first line, I think, captures it. When I got a D in my first A-level chemistry test, I convinced myself that it was bad luck. And I sort of first dig into sort of failure and Mm. how that's really unmotivational and then breaking down what kept me trying after I had this horrible experience with a teacher that was just not good. And um, in my chemistry class, it went from like 28 students to nine students the next year because of, you know, issues with the school. And that was a, a point in my life where I really felt like giving up on this subject and how I eventually found motivation. Mm. 
Um, I'm also conscious that you believe motivation is a myth. Uh, that's just a title of a video. But, but <laughs> yeah. I don't actually believe motivation is a myth. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, so yeah, so I sort of dig into this idea of what gets you motivated is having a why of some kind. Okay. Whether that is, you know, a long-term goal of somewhere mm. you want to end up. Um, you can have like an extrinsic source of motivation, mm. which is something like a grade you're trying to achieve or university you're trying to get into. Um, but also trying to find this intrinsic sense of why is it you're studying? Like what is interesting about these subjects? Even if you can't find anything naturally, mm you need to convince yourself that there's something interesting about this. Like these maths problems are the basis of so many incredible things that maybe you are interested in. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, using that motivation to then put the systems into your life, which I then dig into for the rest of the book. Okay. So, so it sounds like if, if, if something is like dull on the surface, you're saying that we can like essentially talk ourselves into thinking it's less dull. Yes. And that gives sort of the spark of motivation, which then once you build the systems, then you can stop relying on motivation. Like how, how, how does it work? Um, kind of, yes. Okay. So I believe that motivation is kind of just about the narrative you tell yourself about most things in life, right? The idea of being demotivated is you not wanting to do something mm. and you don't want to do it for a reason of what you're telling yourself about that thing. So if you're, you're not motivated to study, why is that? Do you not like the subject? Why don't you like the subject? I break it down into things like conformity. Is it because your peers around you don't like that subject? Um, is it the expectations people are placing on you? For example, um, you have a teacher who believes that you're just not going to succeed and you've told yourself that you are not going to succeed in this subject. Um, and asking yourself these series of questions that break down why it is you're not trying and then trying to find motivation through reshaping that oh nice yeah that's some good stuff <laughs> i say it so much better in the book i feel like i'm just rambling in this yeah i guess the book has been through like 18 levels of editing and, yeah and all that like kind of i stuff. can't say it in the same way but so we've got chapter two the academic system chapter three how we learn and i, I noticed that there was a cheeky forgetting curve somewhere in there yes i think there's also um i could be wrong but a little uh, contribution from um <laughs> someone yes uh I, I, I was i was flicking through this and i, I came I, I saw forgetting curve and then i stumbled across my contribution like a little bit a little bit later um what is the forgetting curve for those oh of us unfamiliar? my i feel like everyone on your channel is very familiar <laughs> with the forgetting curve okay so there's a guy called herman ebbinghaus He's a good friend of ours. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, and he basically did loads of studies about human memory and found out that, you know, when, you, when you're learning something, uh, after a certain period of time of not reviewing it, your memory decays exponentially. But if you review the same bit of information at regularly increasing intervals, you can boost your attention back up to that 100%, which is why we have something called... <laughs> Space repetition, which I feel like is like, I don't know, as your brand, half your brand, Ali, is space repetition. Um, yes, which is the idea that you review information at these regular intervals to combat that forgetting curve. How do you personally recommend slash do you personally organize your like space repetition timetable? Like how do you, yes. how do you, how do you do it? Okay, so I use Anki, yep. the, which is like a flashcard service that effectively does it for you. I always also use Quizlet. Mm. Um, but I actually have a spreadsheet, mm. which is great. Um, I also use, so I, I have Notion for like my timetabling of my life. But I also have a spreadsheet for all my different university chapters. And, and then I use Anki. 
Okay. So do you have stuff that is like not because Anki is very sort of like one bite mm-hmm. at a time type yes. stuff. What about more like conceptual stuff or mm-hmm. broad picture stuff or you know what is this person's theory about this thing which would actually yes. span like two pages rather than one flashcard? Yeah. Do you do you do you use space repetition for that stuff as well? How how do you do it? Yes. So I combine it with other techniques. I don't know if you heard of blurting. This is something. No, I haven't. What is blurting? Oh, this is honestly my favorite technique. Oh, okay. It's kind of active recall, mm. but I just it's a technique called blurting, where uh, you choose a chapter or a concept or a process that you're trying to learn. You give yourself a few prompt words from that chapter, and then effectively you just blurt out everything you can remember from this process or topic or chapter, and then you you can set a timer you can do how much you can do in five minutes and then you compare it back to your notes and then with a highlighter fill in everything that you didn't know or that you've forgotten and then you compare that back and I think this is something you also talk about which is you know it's not about shoving information into you it is about forcing it out and that's how you learn and then going back and noticing what you don't know um, and so I use space repetition in how often I blurt mm, nice yeah, the whole like, uh, it's 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 so counterintuitive in a way where yeah, we just yeah. assume that the way we learn stuff is by putting information in, but we actually learn stuff by taking information out. Yeah. That's, that's weird. Mad. <laughs> yeah. And like completely contradicts the whole like, oh, I'm just going to sit and highlight a textbook yeah. <laughs> and read because also it's strange because you feel the most intelligent when you're reading the textbook, right? Yeah. Because like, yeah. all the information is there, like, I agree with yeah. that. You know, like, that diagram is correct. Like, yeah. It makes sense. Whereas you feel so stupid when you're trying to drag information from your brain and nothing's coming out, but that's, you know, when you're learning the that's most. You're actually learning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got, I imagine we've got all of the whole active recall and, and, yes. and stuff in here. Um, I was intrigued by Productivity Hacks, chapter mm-hmm. six. Um, this is sort of up my street. Like, w- what would you say are the are the key productivity hacks that you found, that you found helpful? Yes. Um, so... I kind of, after having read so many different productivity books, I wanted to break it down to the most simple that a student who doesn't have time to read a thousand things on productivity could just easily implement. And a lot of this is based off of the Pomodoro technique. Um, I'm sure you guys are familiar with this if you're into the productivity space. But the idea that, you know, you set a timer, you choose one task, focus on it for 25 minutes and then give yourself a break. Um, I think that's just an amazing one to beat procrastination to be more productive and also i actually i think i quoted one of your your productivity equations you have actually yeah i I was looking through this chapter and i saw that oh but i think i also (laughs) yeah yeah, i added something you've like added stuff to it yeah it's it's, it's very interesting so so what's your productivity equation okay so my productivity equation is well maybe we'll go back to the classic one yeah so the classic (laughs) productivity equation is obviously output over time so in a factory, you know, you're trying to produce the most products in the least amount of time or using the least amount of resources. And what I added to this is if you multiply it by focus and forethought, I think that is that's how you are the most productive. And then the whole chapter is based off of around this equation. So the idea that if you can reach this level of deep focus, whether that is having sanctity of space, like for me going to my cafe, deciding actively that I'm gonna turn off my phone and go into this place, I'm gonna be far more productive um, and the work is gonna be more meaningful. Um, And then forethought is the idea of planning, you know, having your notion page, your timetable um, and any planning that you do will make that time much more productive. Mm. And then here's where I borrowed from you. Fun. (laughs) Because Ali, you know, we've got to make life fun. Got to make life fun. Yeah. 
That's a really, uh, it's a really interesting model. So productivity equals output over time yeah. multiplied by focus, multiplied by forethought, thought, multiplied by fun. Fun. Three Fs. Three Fs. That's really good. Yes. And then the chapter goes through like focus, forethought, fun. What? A forethought feels a bit a bit shoehorny into the three I, Fs. I was gonna say, no. <laughs> but it's got to be it's done. Memorable. It's, it's memorable. memorable. Yeah, come on. Yeah, no, I'm 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 doing this all the time in my book. It's, yeah. it's like I've I've got a word for it, but it just I need like three Cs or three Fs yeah. or three Rs yeah. or something. It's, it's a little bit. Yeah, it's just like. <laughs> but I'm gonna I'm gonna remember the three Fs now. That's like a really a really interesting way of looking at it. And I suppose once you've got an equation, you can then target different bits of the equation exactly. to become more productive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing you care about. Um, how do you feel about like toxic productivity? It's a, it's a oh. word that gets bandied about quite a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really good thing. Um, this is what I talk about in, I'd say, the second half of my book. Mm. Like all the stuff about mental health, um, perfectionism, hustle culture, all mm. of that falls into toxic productivity. Mm. Um, I think it's people misusing the idea of productive. Mm. Productivity is spending your time well. Yeah, that, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> that's literally the definition, right? And that doesn't mean sitting and revising for yeah. 10 hours, which is what productivity has often come to be associated mm -hmm. with. And I think if you reshape it to view productivity as just spending your time well, whether that's for enjoyment, resetting, self-care, mm -hmm then there almost isn't a toxic productivity. It's just, you're not spending your time yeah. in the best ways for you. Um, yeah, and I think it is so important for young people to take more time for things like mindfulness, mm -hmm. where you like totally switch off from the internet. And uh, in the chapters talking about exam season, um, you know, you're kind of like a warrior going into a battle. And when, when a warrior is like, a, when a soldier is going into battle, they're thinking about their diet, they're, they're thinking about the levels of rest they get, you know, a good yeah. night's sleep before all of these things. And when you're in exam season, you start to do the same. And one of the most productive things you can do is looking after yourself, so. Yeah, I, some, I sometimes get messages yes. from people being like, how, how do I study when I'm tired? Or yeah. how, how do you pull an all-nighter? I'm just like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> don't yeah, study yeah, when yeah. you're tired, don't pull an all-nighter. There's like almost nothing to be gained uh, from, from doing that stuff. What are your thoughts on toxic productivity? Basically the same as yours, to be honest. Okay. Um, I think the, the way I, I usually... So I often get accused of sort of peddling toxic productivity stuff, as do a bunch of other... I, I, I don't think you do because you're very on the sort of self, self-love type thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're of, of, of our other YouTuber friends... I used to. A oh, lot. did you? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, study tube. Yeah, on. study tube. Yeah. 14 hours study with me and it's yeah. like all, the, all that kind of stuff. And to me, it's just a bit baffling because to me, productivity is doing the things that, I, that that matter to us yeah and so to me hanging out with my friends i i would consider productive mm -hmm. um and like playing ratchet and clank on the playstation if i'm taking a break i would consider productive yeah but i think it's too easy it's very easy for people to look at a headline 14 hours study with me or yeah. something like that not actually watch the video and realize that it's actually four hours of work sure. and the rest of it was just yeah. banter and part uh, of yeah. you know <laughs> the the advertising around this video for it to do well on youtube has yeah. to be something sometimes a little bit extreme exactly. you know the only you know, study guide you ever need yeah. come on it doesn't mean i think it's the only study guide yeah. you'll ever need yeah yeah there's a bit of artistic license in the, in the title yes. of this stuff um but yeah, my theory, I mean, I, I fully agree with your, your perspective on this, doing doing more of the things that matter to us, uh, whether that is taking a break, hanging out with friends, hanging mm -hmm. out with family and doing things that are meaningful to us. So the forethought bit and having fun along the way. Exactly. And like, yeah. if you do more of that, like, I don't know how that yeah. can be, that can be toxic, but I yeah. guess it's, it, I don't know. Yeah. Or even focus for me, the idea of that is when you're relaxing, yeah. you shouldn't be focusing on mm. all the things that you have to do. And, you know, like, oh, I should be revising right now. Like 
focus on just watching that film or enjoying time with your friends. It's like being present is productive. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, what, uh, what do you, how, how would you define hustle culture? You mentioned that. Oh, yeah. yes. What's, um, what's the deal with that? <laughs> okay, wow. This is a, this is a big topic. Mm. I feel like we have just been trained our whole lives to value things with output that's tangible. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, whether that is a grade, that is the university that you're going to, the work you're going to get for a paycheck, like all of that has some kind of goal mm. you can work towards. And so anything like self-care where the thing that you're achieving isn't tangible, we just don't value. You know, when, when that's looking after your mental health, it's not a tangible output. So you don't put the same time and energy into it. Um, and that's so toxic. Mm. We've got this culture where it's like everyone wants a side hustle, which, mm. you know, we love a side hustle. It's great, but not at the detriment of killing yourself in the process because yeah. that takes out the fun, that takes out the productivity, yeah. <laughs> all of it. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is something that, like, I often struggle with. It's very much a, a, a first world problem um, where... I will feel guilty when I'm not doing something that generates economic output. Mm. <laughs> like in in the last few days, I got the new Ratchet and Clank game on the PlayStation. This is you know a game I used to play a lot when I was like between the ages of eight and thirteen, and it's been really nice just spending an hour in the evenings just like shooting some people with like this cart cartoon <laughs> cat thing. But cool, it's really good. <laughs> it's like a very kind of childish game. Um, but I've historically been like. Uh, sort of flip-flop between like anti-video game and pro-video game anti-video game because it's a waste of time that you know is, is not generating economic output pro-video game precisely because it's a waste of time that doesn't generate economic mm -hmm. output and this, and this kind of stuff um and i feel like for me the more successful i become in sort of output terms mm -hmm. the more the goalpost changes and i think oh but now we've got a team of like 12 people and now mm. you know i should you could be, always do more right yeah i should be doing more because now these people's livelihoods are dependent on my youtube channel being successful all, yeah. all this kind of stuff how do you like how do you kind of find time slash make time for the self-care stuff that's not associated with economic output mm. i think in just the same way that you plan your time mm. for the things that create economic output yeah. <laughs> you have to plan your time for the things that don't okay um at least that often helps me so like for me i just have a really strong routine in the morning okay. which sets my whole mind up for the day like oh, what does that look like oh it's on jd jade's morning routine <laughs> Yeah, so I will do yoga and meditation like almost every morning without fail. And I find the days that I don't do it, I'm just a worse human. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that's going to make me money or, you know, it doesn't contribute to, yeah, doing my job better. Even though I guess it, it does. Um, yeah, it's just something that makes me feel good every morning. I do that. Um, yeah. And then also something I'm trying to do is on Sundays, just not touch my phone or, you know, try and like not be in the social media world as much as I am in the week. Uh, and then I feel like when I have when I release this need to share, I, I also don't, I'm not in hustle culture as much mm. because I think being in the study tube world or the productive world, you feel like you have to be doing cool stuff so that you can share the cool stuff. Mm. And then when I've decided, well, I'm not gonna share anything today, then it's like half the pressure's gone. And then it's like only myself I've got to do it for. Yeah. Um, and then I can just enjoy my time a bit more. Mm. Interesting. What does your what does your yoga yoga and meditation practice look like? Yeah, um, I do YouTube YouTube videos. Don't know if you know yoga with Adrian. Oh yes, you I, do. I started her thirty day challenge and got oh. to about day seven, oh, day nine. What happened? Uh, 
I forgot to do it one day and then the habit broke and then yeah intended to do it at some point yeah. never never really got around to it you know that that yeah the classic yeah I really like her I also really like um yoga with Patrick Patrick and Carling oh, okay. he's like tough power yoga okay which I really like so I do like a bit of her as like soft yoga good it's for very breathing yeah. very wholesome you just feel safe in her presence yeah, like genuinely. she's lovely yeah um and then he's a bit more like okay I'm sweating okay. so that's that's like a nice balance for me and then I always do like a five minute meditation on Insight Timer or YouTube. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. So you just like wake up and decide to put on a random YouTube video or do you have like a playlist that you're working um, through? Yeah, again, it depends. So sometimes I like put it ready on my YouTube the night before, just like reduce the friction in the morning when I'm tired, I can just wake up and do it. Okay. Yeah. So you just like roll out of bed onto your yoga mat and then do stuff like... Yeah. Oh, like genuinely? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Fair play. Now, I remember last time we spoke... Um, that inspired me to get a yoga mat oh so i now have a yoga mat um, which is like behind that curtain over there Mm -hmm. uh and i was using that for like home workouts and like yoga sessions during lockdown when that was a thing um how's your yoga habit now it's entirely non-existent right now (laughs) but i'm moving to london in about seven days time so i'm i'm that's exciting you should try hot yoga i really want to try hot yoga it's so good i love it yeah i i've heard good things have you ever tried acro yoga never but i also really want to try i want to try acro yeah like that would be absolutely sick yeah um do you follow sam calder and chelsea Kawhi and stuff on instagram Um, oh they're 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 really cool there's these like travel vloggers mm -hmm. instagram people sort of they do these incredible like acro yoga routines oh, so cool both like incredible yeah. shape he's got like yeah. six pack abs like all the wow. time it's like absolute goals <laughs> and every time i see one of their videos i'm like whoa this looks awesome yeah. uh, it looks really hard though um no that's definitely a goal in my life to try that nice yeah yeah i'm gonna try and do a few classes in london once i i i, I feel like i'm deferring a lot of things to once I move to London, mm, then I will do X. So easy to do. And I, was, I, yeah, I feel yeah, like yeah. it's it's too easy to do that for a lot of things in life yeah, as well. That's so true. What, once I finish uni, then I'll start a YouTube yeah. channel. Or, yeah. you know, once once I get promoted, then I'll yeah. be happy. Or like, why not today? Why not why yoga not today? today exactly. I should just do yeah. it today. <laughs> do you have any things that you feel connect your mind and body? What does that mean? That's a deep question, <laughs> I know. So like for me, I find yoga is a practice that really just makes me feel more like present. So mm. my mind is like switched off, I'm in my body. And then for the whole rest of the day, I just feel like more, more grounded, oh, more connected. I know what you mean. I have this on Friday mornings when I have my tennis lesson at eight o'clock. Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. I, I Yeah, that's, that's the feeling. I always feel like really good after that yeah. lesson. And then I'm yeah. like sort of ready to crush it the rest of the day. That's really cool. Um, huh. I should do more activity in the morning. That, yeah. That would be a fun thing. Because it just sets up your whole day to be better. It does. Yeah. And we've got like these balls flying at you from a coach who can hit them really hard. It's like, yeah. you don't have time to think. You just have Wait, to have like... you always done tennis? No, I've, uh, I dabbled with it in school, but I've started taking it seriously about six months ago. Ooh, and cool. I realized that you, you can just like get lessons and stuff. Yeah. And it's Wimbledon, great. and here we come. Wimbledon, here we come. Cool. At some point, it's, a, it's on the bucket list. Um, <laughs> uh, so meditation as well. I, I, I've been dabbling. Um... I'm on day four of Sam Harris's waking up app. Oh, yeah. I've been on day four for about a week now. So <laughs> what does the app have you do? It's just a very beginner 30 day course for now. Okay, cool. Just like sit in a quiet place and then you have it in your AirPods or whatever. Yeah. And it's mostly like breathing and he's like occasionally he's like, okay, at this point you probably find your mind is wandering. So mm. don't worry. I was going to say, <laughs> how do you find it? Do you find you're like able to generally focus on the guided meditation or are your thoughts everywhere? I find I'm usually able to focus on it. Mm. I just, I feel like I haven't done it for long enough to actually yeah. get the benefits of it. Because I do it for a day or two once I speak to someone like you. <laughs> get like, a motivation. like meditation, yes. 
And then something or the other happens yeah. and I have like a Zoom call at 8am and I'm like, oh God. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and then I think, what the hell am I doing? I can literally do whatever I want. I choose my own schedule. This was the point of all of this, like, yeah. I don't know, side hustle stuff. Yeah. And yet the calendar still feels outside of my control. So I, I, need, I need to... I need to sort this out. Yeah. It's not good. Wait, weren't you saying recently that like your calendar feels like it's taken up by a lot of managing people yes. and yeah, as opposed to just doing activities for you mm. or like general strategy, I guess, for you yeah. as a person. Yeah. How has that been, this shift of managing people? It is really fun. And I used to think that meetings were a waste of time. Mm-hmm. And I used to look at people's calendars who have like meeting after meeting after meeting and think like, how can you possibly get anything done? Um but now that I've got a fairly big team, it's like my time is actually best spent in a meeting, mm. kind of sharing some ideas and a vision and basically telling other people what to do, <laughs> um, which feels really good. But then if I take a step back, I'm like, I've just been in meetings like literally from nine o'clock to five, 5 p.m. And wow. now I've got like a three hour long podcast and now I've got like another Zoom call with my writing coach. And now it's like 11 p.m. Like it's... Like when you're in it, you don't realize just how like all encompassing, how all uh, soul sucking it can be. Mm. And then occasionally when I find time to take a step back, I think, what the hell's going on with my calendar? Um, But I'm finding that given that I live my life by my calendar, I've now blocked out four hours, Wednesday afternoons called Mm -hmm. uh, at least time to think. Like no one can interrupt anything. And I will try not to bring my phone into that to just like write or just think and go for a walk or things like that. Um, the other thing I'm trying to do is scheduling something in at like five or 6 PM mm-hmm. for an hour, like an activity or something, which forces me to get out of the office or get off my computer. Nice. Yeah. And then that's like a reset. Yeah. And, and then you're probably more evening, effective up till then. Right. Cause you're like, I need to get it all done by this yes, point. Exactly. <laughs> and then in the evening, if I really want to, and I'm really enjoying it, then I can choose yes. to do more work yes. or things that look like work. Yeah. Um, but if not, then I can just play PlayStation or like hang out with a friend. Or Amazing. So that's, that, that's a theory anyway. I'm going to mm-hmm. implementing it over the next few weeks and I'll report back and let you know how it goes. I was going to say, wow, that's so cool though. This shift to, I guess, managing a whole company, right? Like I know I heard you saying that you were reading a lot more books in the business space. Has that been helping you a lot? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Every, yeah. Time, I feel like every time I read a new business book, I'm like, damn, I wish I discovered this sooner. <laughs> um, because again, like a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, business books. What a waste of time. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you learn business by doing business. And I was like, oh, actually, <laughs> you know, these guys, these guys with like 40 years of experience running, yes. like they know what they're talking about. This is some good advice. Um, so now I'm finding that. Something yeah. I'm interested in mm. is your idea of hierarchy Ooh. in your business. Okay, yeah. Do you feel like a superior to the people you're working with a lot of the time? Is it like, does it feel like you're almost friends and then you're bouncing ideas off of each other? Like, how do you think about it? And I don't know if you've heard of like holacracy or more. Oh no, what's that? Oh, we can talk about that after. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, how do I feel about hierarchy? I don't feel like a superior in any way. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, and I, I very much see us all as, you know, we're all friends slash we're on the same team kind of thing. But at the same time, there is that thing of I have, I, I know I need to communicate like an expectation of what, like of what I want and what success looks like. Mm. And I often do a very bad job of doing that because I think, oh, we're just friends. We're all just making it up as we go along. And it's only recently that I realized, like, if I set like a goal, like an arbitrary goal of like, you know, by the end of the year, we want 150,000 subscribers on the email list. Mm-hmm. Like that's actually quite useful yeah. for Jakob, who's our marketing guy who's helping grow the email list because now KPIs. he's got something to shoot for. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. Whereas before I was like, oh, KPIs is a waste of time. Who, yeah. who cares about KPIs? Um, I, I, I'm also surprised as to 
because in my head i'm just making it all up as i go along mm. and so when i like float an idea by the team in my head it's just an idea and it's mm -hmm. just a rough pencil sketch uh but in their heads it's like oh ali said we need to do something so we need to do the thing <laughs> and then like a week later it's like the idea changes and then people are like oh but you said this other thing last week yeah. like and now you're changing your mind every other day like what's going on and i'm like well, wow that's, that's yeah. a bit weird because i didn't i didn't think i asked you to do anything but mm -hmm. they took my rough it's idea kind of pressure, and like right? did stuff with it yeah. <laughs> I was like okay cool so i realized i've had to kind of to me over communicate a lot where and where it's like okay guys just to clarify mm -hmm. i don't know what the hell i'm talking about yeah, this you is don't just need a to rough, action this do yeah. not do anything right yeah. now i'm just floating an idea don't do anything with it <laughs> all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff um so there's been some of the challenges with the, with the management stuff but it's like really fun yeah and it's really fun like working with people and like so cool angus is over here at the moment Shout on his out laptop to angus. just hanging out and <laughs> it's, it's been really really nice having people in we work like co-working yeah. space um, to the point where all of the people we're now hiring, we want to be based in London to have like an actual London office. Um, and your agency 16th has been like Danny and, and Fran and stuff have been really helping us on the operations side Amazing. about like yeah, what it's like to grow a business and things like that. So that's, so that's been fun. Wow, cool. What about you? Have you thought about like uh, kind of expanding, teamifying your yeah, brand um, as it were? Not right now, just because I think while I'm in university, my priority is still having a social life mm. and learning about myself and just making mistakes and just just living my life as a person beyond YouTube. Okay. Because I feel like that's, that's so important to me during university. And I'm also lucky I get to travel a lot and do all mm. these things. Um, and I think I don't have the freedom to do that when I'm investing so heavily in YouTube. So the next two years of my life is still in that experiment phase. And then I think after YouTube, when I'm like, okay, cool, like maybe this is the career that I want to pursue that I'll turn it into something. But right now I, I, I like the flexibility of my life. Are you not worried that, and I, I so the, the, this is my thought process with this, mm -hmm. that like I have hit the jackpot. My, I yeah. got I, right place, right time, YouTube channel took, took off. I really don't want to screw this up. Mm -hmm. The algorithm, anything could happen to my channel. Anything could happen to the algorithm. If I stop uploading videos at a cadence of two videos per week, something bad is going to happen. And I, I don't want that something bad to happen. Speaking from experience. <laughs> <laughs> and therefore, given that I don't want something bad to happen. But then you're chained to the algorithm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it seems like you have like shed the chains of the algorithm. I think at I At least have. that's what it looks like on the outside. How, I think I have. Yeah. How, 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 did, how did you do it? Defining your priorities in life. Okay. If your priorities are just numerical success mm. for your whole life, then brilliant. But for me, I know that my human fulfillment does mm. not just come from YouTube. And yes, when I'm succeeding, it's brilliant. I feel great. You know, like it's just this is like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this thing in the background that like I know it's all going good, you know, with yeah. the algorithm. Um, but in the times of my life where I've only focused on YouTube and I've been doing the best with the algorithm, sometimes when I'm the least happy, because I'm not putting the same energy into relationships in my life, into, I don't know, just learning about myself through other activities. Um, so I define that as a priority for myself is while I'm at university, I wanna have the space to not just be a YouTuber and to be messy and, you know, an element of like being a bit chaotic at uni means I can't do, do YouTube to the same extent as if I was just focusing on it. Um, okay. Yeah. So reprioritization. Okay. But it's a sacrifice for yeah. sure. So then do you think at all about like two years from now, mm. if you don't take YouTube so seriously that maybe 
the YouTube career won't be there and you'll have to like get a real job. Is 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 that something that concerns you? In it used to, but no. Oh, okay. No, because the algorithm okay, yeah, if you don't post for a bit, yeah. it might come back and have to build things up again. But if you're able to do it once, why can't you do it again? You okay. know? Like right. you've clearly learned how to do this. Mm. You have something of value to share. People want to listen to you. People know who you are. And even if it took six months of you, you know, working hard to get back to anywhere close to where you were, mm. you've done it before. It would be so much easier than the first time around. And yet you will have gained so much in the time off. Is how I view, how I view. I'm not saying you have oh, to quit okay. YouTube, but I also do, I feel this fear in you, Ali, to like, yeah. to to stop you know when when oh, yeah. on the, the algorithm's so on your side i'm so proud of you like you oh, do so you. <laughs> well on youtube um but i remember when we were having the chat last year mm. about you thinking about traveling and increasing your surface area for serendipity <laughs> all that stuff yeah. <laughs> all that stuff yeah and i can imagine it must feel even further away when it's like you know you've got a team and you're learning all this stuff on this incredible business side um but yeah i don't know is there still a part of you that thinks there's the things you want to do be on YouTube, but you're chained by YouTube. Mm. Yeah, I think so. I think the way that I think of it is less about YouTube specifically and more about like the wider kind of being a thought leader slash, you know, mm. that sort of internet personality kind of thing, which sounds really cringe to say out loud. Um, He's a thought leader. <laughs> that's a dream anyway. Um, and the thing that always worries me is that it's all as as much as we've tried to diversify away from youtube it's still all very dependent on youtube for sure and i look at you know there are, there are very few youtubers who were big 10 years ago who are still big today mm -hmm. um tech youtubers have done well in like staying relevant and mm -hmm. and things and so i i often think about this as like what exactly am am i scared of because you know, the business is doing well, we're sufficiently profitable, etc. But I'm still like climbing, climbing the greasy pole of like subscriber count and like views mm. and like revenue and all this sort of stuff. And there's got to be a point at which it has to stop slash like take a step back. So that's one side of me. But the other side is like, yeah, but it's really fun. And yeah. we're getting an office and we're Dream hiring a team life. and it's like cool. And I actually, if I think about what I would find more fun, I think being in London and going to a WeWork every day feels to me more fun than like traveling would mm -hmm. for now. Yeah, and so I feel like great. in this season of my life, which is kind of like a hustle kind of season, while on the same, you know, doing acro yoga and playing PlayStation and stuff on the <laughs> side to, you know, self-care, um, it feels like why not do the hustle yeah. thing for as long as it's fun? And if it stops being fun, then I'll I'll reassess. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> that's really valid too. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> really cool. Yeah, and like, as you say, you know, you've got this whole new chapter ahead of you mm. in London with a team and an office. Like, that's a, that's an adventure in itself. That's a huge change. I thought you've, you've engineered your routine here. Mm. So that's going to be a huge change. Yeah, I feel like it hopefully should be fun. Um, so you're yeah. having a big change in a couple of weeks, right? You're, you're going to Berlin. Yes, I am. Although I've lived there before. I've studied there before, okay. which is amazing because it's the first time in my degree that I'm going back to a city okay. so I feel like I already have you know some of my favorite places there mm. yeah it's just very exciting how, how long were you there for last time four months okay and two of which were in total lockdown okay so really two months yeah two months <laughs> and then this time around how long is it for uh four months again okay four, four and, and a half months yeah 
What's that like, kind of being in a, in a city for like four, month, four months at a time? I've, I've never really done that. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it's, it's so many things. It's okay. a lot of emotions. Right. Um, it's incredible. You find, uh, like my concept of home has shifted a lot because you, you do find a home in this place. Mm. Like, I don't know, I leave a piece of my heart wherever I go, I swear. Yeah. Like all these cities around the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you, I, I don't know, I've kind of developed this routine of first month is going to be really tough everything is new the language the culture the mm-hmm. people all of it is just like totally out of your comfort zone second month things get a little bit easier you're developing a routine and then third month is just sweet spot like every life is just amazing you found like it's like honeymoon you know you've got your routines you understand this place and then fourth month is still good but like i'm learning to leave and leave it behind so it's like bittersweet um yes so it's it's good but then I also sometimes feel this lack of stability in moving a lot. Okay. Because it's, you know, I, I get to experience these amazing places, but then I know it's always going to be for a short time. Okay. Is that be- because of the university thing keeping you moving? Okay. Do you think you'd, well, once you graduate, you'd want to continue the sort of traveling, living in a new place every four to six months sort of lifestyle? Or mm. has it gone out of your system? So like, yeah. Yeah, good question. Um, I don't know if I'm honest. I think part of me wants stability and like friends in one place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's so amazing. Like the whole slow travel thing where mm. you live in a new place. Um, you just learn so much about yourself really quickly. Like every place you go is so different um, and like forces a different version of yourself, I feel. What, what do you mean you learn about yourself? Okay. Um, so for example, Berlin and Seoul, I think are two of the most different places you could be in. Like Berlin is like, I don't know, so individualistic. <laughs> like, okay. as in like you're you're in the street, people don't care what they wear, and I love it. You know, people could just be like wearing a bin bag or wearing a suit, and everyone will look at you exactly the same. People play their music super loud, and and that's just them living their life. And people will, you know, sometimes just like dance in the street to the music, and everything's just very free. Um, whereas in Seoul it you know it's very respectful culture you have to be a lot kind of quieter and sort of keep to yourself yeah. and it's sort of it's got this collectivistic thing and I never lived in in a place I like either of those two um so in Berlin it sort of taught me I could I could you know take up more space and experiment with my fashion and okay. um yeah like that was a, a side of myself I got to explore whereas when I went to Korea you know, you're on the bus and if you talk, people will look at you until you stop talking. Oh, okay. So it's like, wow, I learned that, you know, I'm a lot louder than I always thought I was or that I enjoy conversations with strangers, which will never happen here because everyone will keep to the, kind of keep to themselves more and because of the language differences. Um, so, yeah, so you come out of the places having learned about how you would adapt to these situations and what aspects of your personality you, you like to express. Oh, and do you think there's like a minimum effective dose in terms of like length of time that you're in a place <laughs> because like, yeah. i've been i've been to japan for a week at a time i don't think i learned oh. anything about myself in that time mm-hmm. um but like yeah for sure i think you have to like live there yeah like commit to living there not just like a holiday um but i don't know if there's a minimum amount of time mm. i think three months you could probably do it but i think four months really has been like a sweet spot Mm. for living in a city kind of as I said those phases that you go through in the months um, I think two months is really just the the exposure thing and figuring everything out and then that third month is when you're you're feeling a bit okay 
So uh, a, f- a few minutes ago, we, we were talking about the YouTube channel and you said that you're wondering whether YouTube is going to be your career two years from now when, when you graduate. How do you think about this this concept of like career and this thing of mm-hmm. like, because my, my, my view on this is that like, what does career even mean it's like uh like if you're if you're a doctor that's a career if you're a lawyer it's a career because it's like oh there's one thing that you're doing kind of there's a clear progression but i feel like for you and for me maybe like the word career doesn't feel quite Mm. quite right How, how, how are you thinking about that kind of concept that's so true yeah career is definitely like an old old time phrase i think where the assumption is you know you go to one company and you stay there for your lifetime and work up the hierarchy But no, I feel like people have multiple careers in their life. That is the new definition of a career. Um, Yeah, I think just doing whatever feels right at that time, job-wise, is probably the best thing. You know, I have friends right now who are graduating and going into random jobs that that's not going to be their their long-term career. But no doubt they're going to go there. They're going to learn a lot. They're going to learn what they do. They don't like. They're going to meet people who are going to lead them on to other things. And I think that is what we should normalize as a career is just just doing things and you know throwing what's the expression throwing something at a wall oh yeah throwing spaghetti at the wall throwing spaghetti <laughs> yeah. at a wall yeah and just if you don't like the career you change and youtube is a is a I guess a phase of our overall careers which will lead us on to other things yeah yeah that's a good point yeah i find that so uh, my mum is fairly old school in her like approach to stuff mm-hmm. as I, I think like a lot of a lot of parents are um and her whole thing is that like you know that for, for me that i should have a plan and the fact that mm-hmm. i change my mind every you know every every few months from what i want to do is like signs that i'm a scatterbrained and you know don't have a clear <laughs> like whatever whatever um and it's like w- w- when i have conversations with her it's like a part of me wonders should I have more of a plan like a clearer idea of where I want to be five years from now should I do an odyssey plan and actually stick to it or um but then the other half is like oh well you know I'll just I'll just do what's fun in the moment and what seems to roughly make sense and things will work Mm, out Um, so relatable yeah I I don't know I think there are some things you need a plan for like if you decide you want to be a doctor that's something you've got a plan for and and from now to there is like a very clear trajectory um but yeah I know recently I was making like a, a mood board for my life, like oh. a vision board. Oh, okay. And this is really hard because I don't know what I want to do with my life. Yeah. And I don't know where I want to live. Like all of these things are very hazy, but I still wanted to try and create like a vision board of some mm. kind. And I was scrolling through Pinterest, trying to be like, okay, like what resonates with mm. me? I don't even know what to type in. Um, and I think I was just trying to capture more of a feeling mm. or a set of values that are kind of timeless in in what I want to, okay. how I want to shape my life. And the mood board is still in progress, okay. but um, like right now, I love the flexibility I have in the fact that my job can be remote, you mm. know, that like you can do YouTube from anywhere. That's something I really value. I've been able to do it at university. Um, I love the flexibility to sort of make a video on whatever I want to. And realizing those things about what I like now is probably going to be quite similar in five years in what I want from a career. So I find that useful. But So what is a vision board? Oh, it's just like a collection of images, phrases, words. Like you can do magazine clippings, but like digitally, yeah, you can use Pinterest. Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the idea is that you put it up and when you look at it, yeah. it gives you the feeling of the direction you want to go in. It's like a kind of like a source of motivation, but okay. also like a hazy direction in oh. pictures. 
because you've talked in a few videos about like manifestation and stuff mm -hmm. like yeah. what or what is so i've read the secrets and, i haven't read the secrets. oh okay cool <laughs> <laughs> and everyone everyone i've, I've heard uh, everyone I've, I've heard speak about the secret does it in very like disparaging terms that like mm -hmm. well, this, all this manifestation yeah, yeah. stuff is all, is all like bs um but you like talk about it sincerely yeah or, or it seems to be like wh what is manifestation to you and yeah. how does it manifest in your life <laughs> uh, as it were um okay so to me it's kind of common sense okay in in a way if you want something mm. you're gonna have to say it out loud you're gonna have to take actions towards it mm. and you're also gonna probably need a bit of luck because that's how life works and that's kind of common sense you know like if you want a, a certain job if you want to be a doctor you first got to decide that that's something you really want. Mm. You've got to be very specific. Mm. Say, okay, I'm probably in the next five years, I'm going to have to apply for med school. I'm probably going to want to go to maybe this university. Then you can say it out loud. You can write it down. It becomes kind of a clearer thought. Um, and then you have to... You, wait, let me say that again. Um, just through, yeah, like putting it down on paper, you're already thinking about actions okay. of how you're going to go towards that, where that's like working harder for certain grades. And then the element of luck that I guess the yeah. law of attraction comes into, you know, you can call it synchronicity, you can call it luck, you can call it the universe, you can call it whatever yeah. you want to, but there's always an element of that. Okay. Um, so the law of attraction is that to me. It's you decide something and you get really clear on what it is you want. Mm. And then you can also assist that thing with visualizations. Like the more you can picture yourself having that thing, the more likely you are to have it just because you're going to shape your actions towards also getting it. Well, what would the, vi the visualization thing look like? Yeah. Um, so I think this falls into the realm of meditation. Okay. For example, like closing your eyes. I, I think about this with an exam. Mm. Like the night before an exam, if you close your eyes and you picture yourself in the exam hall, yeah. most people, first thing you think of is stress. Mm. You know, you're like flicking through the paper, you've got no time and you're kind of manifesting that version of you being stressed mm. without you doing anything about it. So in order for you to do the opposite, you'd have to visualize yourself being there, being calm, mm. being rational, being yeah. focused and like, you know, feeling quite confident, kind of fake it till you make it. And the more that you picture that and imagine yourself in it, yeah. then the more likely you are to borrow from that visualization and naturally do it. So, yeah, it's kind of just imagining the best case scenario, but that makes you more likely to also do that scenario. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um... I feel like I sometimes accidentally do this without realizing I'm doing this. Mm. Um, there was this guided meditation thing I did the other day, uh, which was sort of about imagining your life mm. some years in the future. What does your house look like? What does the family look like? What are you spending your time doing? And before doing it, I was like, oh, this is going to be some stupid <laughs> meditation thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, then I, and, then, and then I did it. It was like 20 minutes and I was like, oh. Wow, I've just never spent any time thinking what mm. could my life look like in the future. And I had like a very specific sort of vision of what like my future house might look like. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, in this in this vision, like, you know, the, the wife is tucking the two kids into bed. There's like a third one on the way. We've got a little fireplace. I've got like my little desk in the corner that yeah. has like an iMac on it or whatever. It's like a guitar. I've been playing the guitar. It's like a dog. And it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. And since doing that, like last week, I have been thinking back to that and thinking, oh, I wonder what sort of dog I want. Like, in the future. it's just mm. like, just random. I very rarely think what sort of dog do I want in the future. But the fact that I had, I did that visualization thing is now like a thing where I feel like, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to get a dog in the future. It's obviously yeah, going to happen. That's so cool. Um, 
and so i don't know i feel like i, I want to do more in the way of like this sort of vision boarding type stuff that's awesome i haven't really got around to Love doing that. it <laughs> so, yeah. yeah that's basically what the law of attraction is or at least the way i think about it it's right. just getting clear on your vision for your life which mm. we don't do enough and I don't, I'm not clear on that. But yeah. as soon as, you know, you start to have an idea, it does sort of work its way into your mind more and then you're more likely to make it happen. Would you be open to sharing some of the things in your vision board? Or is it like a, a private thing? It's kind of private because okay. I don't know. Like if this yeah. is actually what I want. Okay. Yeah. No, fair enough. Um, have you found the, the manifesting stuff helping in other aspects of life as well? Um, like in, yeah. I think in terms of confidence. Oh, okay. Well, as yeah. in like you... In, imagine yourself as being more confident exactly you are more confident yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah right like again <laughs> Often that's how you, yeah, fake it. It till you make it yeah okay or even for example with the book yeah. like when i was writing this book when i had to go down and sit down and, and you know was dreading the writing process yeah visualizing myself as someone who had written the book who had finished it mm. and was receiving a nice review from someone about how it helped them but not in like a stressful way just like yeah. a, oh you know that was this was clearly helpful to them. Things like that, you know, it just, it helps you then find that motivation to sit down and, and oh, write. Okay. That's very interesting. And do you, do you, do you do this like actively? Do you have like a slot in your calendar for like manifesting time or like how, no. how, how does it work within I your life? Because I have a solid routine of meditation. Mm. Some of those meditations I choose to do on that day could be in the realm of manifestation. Okay. So you and type then, in manifestation meditation yeah, on YouTube and yeah. someone will give you a guided tour. Exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I guess that that must have been that thing that I did the other exactly. day, which is just yeah. like someone talking yeah. you like, you close your eyes, imagine yourself five years from now, yeah. think about the sounds, think about the feelings, yeah. that kind of stuff. And you can just imagine if you did that meditation every day, like every day you'd sort of add to that vision, oh, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. You're like, oh, I have a dog and like, oh, I'm starting to see like a yeah. poodle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, would I like a poodle? And the next day you do the meditation, you're like, actually no, it's like a golden yeah. retriever, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Cause I guess in my head, meditation is like you sit there doing nothing for X I think most time. people think that. Yeah. There's so many different types, like right. visualizations, meditations. There are like breathing frameworks, um, just being present and, you know, hearing everything around you, engaging with your senses. Okay. There's loads. And you don't need to, I guess, again, when it comes to meditation, I think I overthink it in like, a, I need to find the perfect like path. Whereas it sounds like what you're doing is just like type in some random meditation on YouTube, depending on what you're feeling and just go for it. Exactly. And that's yeah. like obviously good for you. Yeah. And because I know that the practice of meditation generally yeah. is good. It doesn't really matter what it is. Like mm. just closing my eyes and like forcing myself to breathe for like five to 10 minutes. I'm showing up like I'm doing the work, mm. you know, it doesn't need to be like the perfect meditation every day. And if I like it, I can do it again. Sick. That is very cool. I'm going to turn to our uh, Instagram audience now Ooh. for some potentially rapid fiery type questions. Okay. Um, th the questions are going to be rapid, but the answers don't necessarily have to be. Okay, I'd love cool. to, to expand on stuff if you like. Uh, oh, wonderful. We have we have categories as well. What is hashtag casual magic? Oh, okay. So casual magic is a concept that I've been practicing for the last few years. The idea is that not every day is going to be your wedding day or your anniversary or your birthday or like an objectively exciting day. But that means that like, I don't know, the, the rest of your life, the like 99.9% .9 of your life is just boring or mm. you don't frame it in a way that has that much meaning or gives you that much happiness. So the idea of casual magic is every day finding something really casual in your mundane life that you find magic in. So, for example, the way that the light's coming into the room is really beautiful. Or, I don't know, just like having a nice tea and just like actively noticing to yourself, like, 
this is a nice moment. Like, it's really casual, but a little bit magic. And <laughs> like after reading so many books on happiness, yeah. that's sort of one of the, the things I found is it's all about how you personally find meaning. So trying to find meaning every day. <laughs> so, so wholesome, man. People find that it. so it's cringy, so but I just... It's not it's... cringy at all. It's great. <laughs> um, What's your casual magic today? My casual magic today? Um... Something little that you're grateful for. Something little that I'm grateful for. I really like these bulbs. We we, we put these like mm. uh, these like little fairy light type things up yesterday because we were having a goodbye leaving party for Sheen. Aww. And I think it's just a great vibe. I just yeah, add, add a good vibe them. to the room, so I'm going to keep them. Love it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think like I, I had a few friends whose bedrooms had that sort of light lighting type stuff in them. I always used to think, oh, this is really cozy and nice. I just never thought that I could. It, it was part it was of like your aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. But now I think it'll, it'll be part of the aesthetic. Love it. What advice would you give Ollie about writing a book? Oh. Apart from all the stop, stuff we've already talked about. I was going to say, we had a little bit of chat about that. Um, stop overthinking it, firstly. Yeah. Mm, flesh out those ideas before sharing them with other people. Yeah. Like, sit with yourself mm. and write them. And thirdly, find your space, your like sanctity of space around a moment a, a place a cafe something like that that's just yours don't yeah. bring any of your writing people there okay right yeah <laughs> sanctity of space that's a nice phrase is that one that, that you've that's invented something I, yes nice that's good that's, that's, a, that's a good way of framing it um artish says how did you name the chapters of your book oh good question um i don't know i just i thought about it and then yeah I mean, and they're, then did they're, it. they're fairly like they're quite basic yeah. aren't they <laughs> how we learn <laughs> study methods yeah it's time for timetables oh nice thanks that's, <laughs> that's good probably the best one <laughs> mental health the night before an exam ready yeah. for battle before ready for a battle could have one dramatic it's got to be done yeah. yeah i mean like the title plus that chapter yeah, yeah. um uh anjara says what's your favorite book oh. yeah the only study kind <laughs> link to the video description <laughs> uh oh I think Atomic Habits has really shaped my life in a positive way. Or The 4-Hour Work Week was mm. one of the first businessy books I ever read. Um, oh yeah, one concept that really stuck with me was the idea of the mini retirement mm. in 4-Hour Work Week. Um, yeah, I'd say The 4-Hour Work Week has okay. just been really, what, really what, good. What's the mini retirement thing for the, for the un, unfamiliar? Oh yeah. Um, so it's the idea that, you know, generally we wait till retirement to enjoy our lives or do all these things like go traveling. Mm. Um, and Tim Ferriss, he has a mini retirement every year where, you know, you can take like a month and do exciting things. You can go mm. traveling rather than waiting your whole life to finish your work. You can like work your whole life and have the retirements in between. Yeah, we're, we're trying to sort of do this concept within our, our team whereby uh, every six or seven weeks we have we all take a sabbatical for a week uh, mm. where like no work gets done. Awesome. We publish like one video which has been pre-scheduled and stuff yeah. uh, and no one's allowed to do any work. <laughs> uh, they kind of they really, really want to, but it's like, you know, in, encouraging people to take a break. Do you actually not do work during that time? So, so far we've, we, we, we've, we've done it for one week whereby <laughs> it was basically 100% work from mine and Angus's part. I feel like uh. some of the rest of the team took, actually took some time off. Okay. Um, but one of my one of my friends ha has been doing the sabbatical thing for the last like seven years. Mm. He says it it takes you a few rounds to actually get into the habit of mm -hmm. not doing any work for a week. Yeah. But I'm I'm hoping it'll happen at some point. <laughs> um, okay. St Study Med says, what did you like and dislike most about your book writing journey? Ooh, uh, like the most is when I read back a, a paragraph or something, and I just had this feeling of 
this is good. Like that doesn't happen often, you know, <laughs> where you're like, this is actually something of value. Mm. Or when you're really overthinking how you want to say something or um, like, for example, mental health, I talk about in the book. And I came up with this metaphor about how mental health is like the weather. And when I hit that, I was like, oh, this makes so much sense to me. And I think this could really help people. Why, why is mental health like the weather? Oh, okay. So <laughs> if you think in the UK, every day you wake up and the weather's different. You don't know how it's going to be. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. But either way, you've sort of got to get on with your day. The weather doesn't define the day. It doesn't define how you are, even though it can change how it is. But, you know, it's a universally recognized thing that it, we have weather and it's going to change. And mental health from, from that perspective is the same. Like every day, your mind is going to be a bit different. You're going to have days where... You know, you're feeling under the weather. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so good. there we go. So many levels. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and it doesn't define you. It's just you know your mind that day might be feeling a bit worse, and you just have to observe it. And you know, if it's raining outside, you pack an umbrella. Mm. But often, if you're not feeling good one day, you don't do anything for it. You know, mm. you don't like you don't do a meditation or take time for yourself like you might do to protect yourself from the weather. Yeah, and then. One thing I kind of went on to talk about is in the UK, we talk about the weather a lot, yeah. but we never talk about mental health. Mm. In the, so it's this paradox. You know, why can't we turn mental health into something that's talked about and checked on just like the weather is? How, how do you notice how you're feeling? Yeah, so this is something I talk about in the book is developing a practice of some kind, yeah. which is you checking in. So that could be journaling. Mm which can be, can feel like a lot of friction at the start, but it's an amazing habit to get into. You know, it's like brain dumping how you feel or just thoughts in your head. Mm. And as you write like stream of consciousness and you read it back, you can often get a gist of how you're feeling, especially when you compare it um, or meditation, even just closing your eyes for one minute mm. and just stopping all the distractions. Yeah. That's checking in for me. Okay. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, this is a good question. How am I feeling right now? Um, Can I just say, this is something I've been realizing this year. Yeah. Boys and men, oh my God. They, I feel like they dread the question, how are you feeling right now? No one can answer it. Why can't you answer it? Okay. So, <laughs> so the reason I can't answer it is because... So I've, I've been thinking about this, this genre of stuff a lot mm -hmm. in the, over the last few weeks to months. I think I never take the time to think about how I'm feeling. And therefore, when asked, how are you feeling? Like literally the only word that, uh, word that comes to mind is good or yeah, great. Yeah, that's so unsatisfying. But uh, apparently the, the thing that you do is get into the, in the habit of not using those words and like elaborating more on what it feels like. And I just don't do that. And therefore it just feel, <laughs> feels unnatural and weird. And like I'm sort of making stuff up. Hmm. Um, how, how are you feeling right now? Like how would, how would you describe your, yeah. Mm, okay um i think a little bit self-conscious if i'm oh, honest okay. because i'm like aware that there's loads of cameras and that anything mm. i can say is going to be used like probably you know i'm going to stumble and i'm not in control of the editing process so okay. like yeah a little bit self-conscious but at the same time relaxed like it's a nice environment here okay that's reasonable <laughs> <laughs> that's better than that good yeah <laughs> decent it's all right um uh, yeah, I've, uh, <laughs> I, I've so I've been I've been uh, reading stuff about this 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 sort of thing. Uh, people say that you should kind of ask yourself what what your body is feeling right now, 
And then the more you do that, the more you'll get used to being like, oh, that feeling when my stomach mm. is a little bit like weird. I, I would label, label that it, yeah. anxious or something like that. Um, actually, have, a, have a go. So, so I actually had, I, I had this a few days ago. So I was, I was out to dinner with someone and then on the way back to the car, realized that uh, my bags had been stolen from the car. <laughs> and I was tracking them on like Find My because I had AirTag, Apple AirTag yeah. on them. And I was like, why, why, why am I, wallets over there, backpacks <laughs> over there, the car's over there. Um, and I had this kind of weird feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I, I realized that, oh, this is like a feeling of anxiety of like, mm. is my car still there? Have they stolen the car? Because they've got the wallet and the wallet has kind of the car keys in it and, and so on and so on. And then I was like, damn, I almost never feel this feeling. And then mm. I was like, damn, I've got friends who actually have anxiety and they feel this all the time. Oh my God, that's awful. Ooh, <laughs> so that was yeah. like the thought process for this because that was a very specific kind of bodily feeling that I could identify as being anxiety. Mm. Like right now, um, the feeling that I have is I am happy slash glad slash like enjoying this conversation. I think it's been really nice. There's a part of me that's self-conscious because I know that every time I'm on camera, I sweat. And so I'm trying not to let the pit stains show on the camera and all that kind oh, of stuff. I'm also feeling a bit like, I don't know how I describe it, but like, um, given that I am quote the interviewer in this, mm -hmm. sort of trying to stay one step ahead of where the yeah. conversation is going and thinking, okay, where are we getting to next? While at the same time thinking that you're doing a great job of like maintaining, I'm maintaining eye contact and being like very engaging. And so if I'm half in my mind about where's the conversation going next, uh, maybe my uh, I'm coming across as less interested than I actually am because I'm having a great time internally. Yeah, I thought you were completely bored. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then at the same time, like, because the camera's on it and I have, like, a, a resting bored face, I've been told. It's like, I, <laughs> you know, uh, it, like, I, I did an interview the other day and I was watching back myself and I was like, why do I look like I'm having the worst <laughs> time? Because I was having a great time. Yeah. And so it's like, let me, like, make my face uh, sort of into a more, like, interested kind of face, which is not my default kind of face. I feel like I've actually noticed you doing that during this conversation. Oh, really? Yeah, because yeah. I was actively thinking about this. Yeah. Like, I don't want to look my because my default face is like this yeah i feel like, like you bored. i've had moments during this conversation <laughs> yeah. where i feel like you notice yeah. that you look bored yeah and then you like actively try yeah. and be like happy yeah. Yeah. and cute like happy chappy i'm like oh like it's cute i thought you're like actively trying to listen i'm actively trying to listen. <laughs> no, it's nice it's like even when i'm looking bored i'm actively listening yeah. but i'm just like looking at this which <laughs> people like, tell do me do i go on yeah. <laughs> what did i say so, yeah that's how i'm feeling right now that's a good answer. Is that reasonable? Better than good, yeah. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> um, what was okay. the question for that one? I don't even remember. What did you dislike about the book writing? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got, how we got onto that, but no. great. Um, okay, Ranim says, don't you think that each student should have his own study guide according to his skills and potential and not just <laughs> one standard guide for everyone? Controversial. Oh, controversial. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was actually having a conversation this morning mm. about... How, you know, the whole, when teacher, when when students often ask teachers, oh, how should I revise? Mm. The teacher says, whatever works for you. Yeah. <laughs> and to an extent, yes. Yeah. But also what works for humans mm. is also going to be good for you. So that's, you know, that's what I would say to revision methods is that, you know, there is science behind this stuff. Yeah. There's the techniques which will work for you. And just because you haven't tried them yet doesn't mean they won't. So while you might enjoy certain techniques more, at the end of the day, you know, try these ones, they, they work. And I think the bit, which is obviously just me sharing my experience is the stuff on mental health, the stuff yeah. on perfectionism. And I'm very open that that doesn't represent everyone mm. and their experiences. 
um yeah so if you want to write your own study guide i'm <laughs> so happy go ahead <laughs> i feel like it's, it's kind of the same as like working out in that mm. yes everyone's metabolism is different so everyone's true, different yeah. genes but like you know if you if you follow the principles of like you know eat at a calorie surplus eat protein and yeah. aggressive overload you will just get more hench and then all the rest is kind of details like who cares about yeah, the details yeah. whereas with studying you follow the principles of like space reputation active recall taking care of your mental health etc etc you know, you're gonna do okay you're gonna do all right yeah it'll, it'll be good um czar says does your book talk about imposter syndrome is it backed up by science experience or anything like, anything like that? I don't actually talk about imposter syndrome. I think I very lightly touch on it. Um, mm. The last chapter is kind of a more general chapter because it is, it's about the future. So I thought, you know, my whole book is about studying, but so much of what you're studying is what you're studying for. Mm. And that is often the future. And I, I talk about Odyssey plans and things which help me because part of my motivation was thinking about that future. And if you don't have a direction of where you're going, it's important to have that. Mm. Um, yeah, so imposter syndrome is, is something I touched on in that chapter, yeah. but was mainly backed up by my experience. Not a... Fair, fair yeah. play. Um, yeah. What is the Odyssey plan for the, for the uninitiated? Oh, the Odyssey plan. Oh yeah, this is so cute as well. <laughs> I still remember. I think this is one of the first videos of mine that you commented on. It oh was, yeah. 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 Um, I made a video about Odyssey plans and Ali was just like, oh, this is really great. Mm. I was like, oh, thank you. That's just really nice. <laughs> so, thanks. Um, yes. So it's a really useful framework. I think it was designed by Yale. Was it Yale? Stanford? Stanford. Stanford. Yeah. 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 So Stanford University used this to help students, um, yeah, work out what they want to do with their lives. And the idea is that you create different versions of how your life could go. So if you were to go exactly on this current path you're on, studying what you're studying, how would your life look in five years? So if you're studying medicine, you're probably going to be a doctor or junior doctor. Mm. Um, yeah. And then you do a second Odyssey plan, which is what if you picked an alternative path? What if you decided to study something you're considering but not doing right now? How could your life look? And then lastly, you imagine if societal expectations didn't matter, money didn't matter, how would your life look in five years? What would you be doing? And then when you sit back, you can take some elements from this life mm. that you would have if nothing else mattered and sort of put that into the life that you're actually going to have. Yeah. So I, I, I first saw your video on this, I think, end of 2019 ish yeah um and it like genuinely shaped sort of the things that i was doing with my life from that point onwards because i just never thought of thought of it in in that way before um what does like how how often do you do this like what is what is your like five-year odyssey plan kind of thing mm. look like um i don't do it overly consistently i think mm. part of it comes into the whole manifestation thing that we were talking yeah. about is being aware of things you'd like to attract into your life um but right now, I know that during university, I've changed so much already. Okay. Like from first year to now, how I view YouTube, how I am as a person, how I view the world after traveling. It's just constantly changing such that I don't have a very consistent five-year plan. And that's fine with me. So I think this is something I'm going to revisit in like final year. Mm -hmm when I'm you know closer to that stage but right now I'm just enjoying my life let me enjoy my yeah. life yeah. Ali <laughs> it's all good <laughs> um we've got Mutt who says how do I get a copy of the book oh okay so you can get it on any any UK re book retailers so WH Smith Waterstones okay. or Amazon oh is it UK only um currently yes oh interesting yeah why didn't you go for international 
Um, it's something that I'd like to do, yeah. but the publisher I'm with is like a medium-sized publisher. So it's kind of like testing it out in the UK. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's done pretty well in the UK. So it's done really well. It's yeah. probably going to get America International the whole shebang. Yeah. That's Sick. something we're in discussion that's about, cool. which is really cool. That's very exciting. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you're going to be an international bestseller. <laughs> I mean, let's manifest it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, LSV says, what's your most useful advice for someone going to uni this September other than to get the book? Oh, yeah, definitely get the book. Yeah, of course, it's, it's got to happen. Okay, I would say that uni is a good time to be messy, to like work out so many things about your life. I think rather than going in and like overly planning every minute of your life at uni, I would say try things. I'd say, you know, like make friends, learn about relationships, learn about how you learn, learn about the subjects you like, join clubs, mm -hmm. just do your best to go out of your comfort zone because I think that's, that's the best thing that uni is for. It's like these few years of buying you time from the rest of the world. So yes, study yeah. hard, but also, I don't know, try stuff out. I don't know. I, I'd probably give the same advice for people who've just graduated uni as well. Mm. Like, I think we think of uni as being the time where you should be messy, but actually all of your 20s are a reasonable time, reasonable oh, time to be messy. Yeah. A lot of people even say into your early 30s, you, you don't really need to have stuff figured out. Mm. Uh, you need to start figuring stuff out once you have like a family and kids to support. Yeah. But until then, like, Okay, it's just to kind of do stuff. <laughs> I need to take that advice better myself. Um, <laughs> uh, what helped motivate you to study the most during A-levels? Oh, um, hmm. so many things. One thing. I think firstly, I really loved learning mm. and I really value learning. So that was like kind of an intrinsic motivation to get me to want to do well is because I wanted to learn. Um, but secondly, I wanted to get into a good university. Yep. <laughs> so that was like a really, really good motivator. Of course. Boring, but true. So we've got a few questions about productivity and then a few questions about life um, to close things off. So okay. uh, Pripra25 says, how has your relationship with productivity changed over the last few years? So much. I used to overly care. Well, we're defining productivity in the like toxic hustle culture yeah, productivity. Yeah, the right economic now. output or yeah, whatever. Yeah, economic output yeah. productivity, yeah. Um, I was that typical cared too much about grades, mm. all A star person at school. My life was just studying. And yeah, I felt very guilty for taking time off. And I think that was also how I felt about the algorithm back then. Oh yeah. Yeah, you know, like if I take time off from the algorithm, it it's not gonna be good. Mm. And I think I just have a much healthier relationship to grades, learning. Um, yeah, like I redefined productivity in what we were saying earlier. And I don't know, just find more enjoyment in life. Mm. Nice. Yeah, so I love rambly. Um, Natasha says, how do you stay focused on your goals? Ooh, uh, breaking them down into many smaller sub goals. It's really hard to stay committed to one thing unless you make it tangible. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Anx05 says, what would you say keeps you motivated to wake up early every day? What, what time do you wake up? Um, it depends. I have at least one day a week where I wake up at 5 a.m. Bloody hell. Because <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it's like my reset day. Okay. Like I tend, in summer, it, it changes because mm. I have the flexibility. Um, but yeah, what motivates me to wake up early? I feel better. I just feel good. When I wake up early, it's like I have a longer day. Mm. I'm more productive. I'm less likely to do the thing where I just stay in bed and watch YouTube and go down yeah. a rabbit hole and feel bad. Uh, yeah. So do you wake up early? How, how, how do you balance the sort of need for eight hours of sleep with the uh, desire to wake up early? I never have less than eight hours sleep or less than seven hours sleep. Like oh, okay. I really 
Sleep matters to me. Okay. Um, so on days you wake up at 5 a.m., you're sleeping, you're sleeping sleep at like 10? I sleep early. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So it's not a decision you make in the morning, it's a decision you make at night. It's but... definitely a decision you make oh, at night. Oh, okay. For sure. Because yeah. I've always tried doing it as a decision I make in the morning. Oh, and no. it never works. Come on. Where's the motivation? <laughs> no. Oh my God. Mornings start at night, for sure. You know what okay. I was saying? Like, if I want to do a yoga video tomorrow, putting it yeah. on my YouTube screen that night and then going to bed, mm. knowing that I just roll out of bed when I've got no motivation, it's just there and you just yeah. click it on. And then you just do the thing. You just do it. Yeah. Okay. Morning starts at night. It's good advice. Um, and now a few questions about life. So um, Alva says, how have your aspirations changed since after your A-levels? Mm. Uh, I think I was always five-year plan person, mm. have everything defined, go from point to point to point. Um, and now I'm a lot more in the present. Mm. My aspirations are to just enjoy myself and learn about myself yep. through, you know, friendships, relationships, um like i don't know say there's like a drama show like a, a theater performance or something that my friend wants me to go to you know in the past i might have said no because i was going to do some something related to my goals that evening oh but being more flexible okay. now in saying let's you know jade this is valuable too let's enjoy that that's interesting i'm really thinking back because i i feel like when i was at school and university for me the work stuff was always the lowest thing on the priority list. Mm. And so if there was ever like a, so like I made it a point when I, when I got to university that I was never going to say no to a social event for the sake of work. Yeah. Um, and then that actually like worked surprisingly well. Um, the, the, the thing that that ended up cutting out of my life was watching TV by myself. Mm. <laughs> so when work became my default activity rather than watching TV by myself, suddenly I had time to do all the things I wanted to mm. and also like keep up with work but just not watch TV by myself. So I'd, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and how much did you miss it for watching uh, TV by yourself? Zero. There you go. Like yeah. occasionally people are like, oh my God, you've never seen The Office? And I'm like... I know, I haven't either. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. Um, okay. Zahid says, oh, how do you get over public criticism? Oh God, that's a tough one. What sort of public criticism do you get? I, well, I, I guess can't that's imagine you hate, get much public right? criticism. That's criticism. Yeah. yeah. So what's it look like? Like apart from you look like a horse or whatever. Oh <laughs> no! For example, I had a lot what, what, of people these days? criticizing me for studying abroad during the pandemic. Oh really? Yeah. A lot of people saying, okay. "Why are you going to Korea?" Yeah. You know. And I think it's hard when I see criticism having a valid point. That's yeah. when I really struggle with mm. it because. I'm like, wow, like, you know, sort of questioning yeah, moral really decisions. About that. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. did you get to Korea? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so that was quite hard because it's part of my degree. You know, all my friends are going to. It's something that I sort of predefined and that the pandemic was doing well mm. in doing well. Like it wasn't as bad in Korea. Um, and that was honestly a really hard time for me when yeah. I got that criticism because I was in quarantine in South Korea alone, like yeah. in this room, just with the world's criticism about me going to Korea. And oh, um, yeah, and it made me really like doubt my doubt my decision to go. But then now that I look back, yeah. Like would I have preferred to to stay at home in lockdown mm. um doing doing uni with the time difference of like 10 hours mm. uh when I could have gone as part of my degree. Like I think a lot of people in the same situation would have gone too. Yeah, and if you're quarantining, it's like and it's quarant and yeah, it's I mean, safe. Like, like it's just it's literally what fine. What are people complaining about? Um, but yeah, I think it. Yeah, it's okay. hard. I think it's just like being like coming back to why you make choices. Yeah, and as long as it's valid to you in your life, then mm. like the criticism is fine. Yeah. Okay. 
Fair play. What, so would you say your main criticism is the toxic productivity stuff or do you also get criticism on other things? Um, the toxic productivity stuff. And recently, because um, I've uh, appeared in a bunch of Sheen's video, videos, I did a couple of videos with Elizabeth. Um, there was a lot of criticism that, oh, wow, Ali's a real arrogant, narcissistic prick in these videos. And like, he doesn't even, mm. he doesn't even look at them when he's speaking to them. He looks at the camera instead. What a dick. And stuff like, oh, the, the way he was coming across was so condescending. You can clearly tell that he doesn't have, an, he doesn't have a respect for them. And a lot of like little things, which mm. people in the comments you? were. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. Yeah, like people in the comments were like psychoanalyzing the hell out of this, like Ooh. minor yeah. thing. And then to the point where I was like, have, have they got, like, maybe they have got a point. Like, I don't, I don't feel any of these feelings that they're describing that I'm feeling, but maybe it's subconscious. Maybe it's like, maybe I am just coming because across you, like, as like a... Because you yourself, right? Yeah. Well, these comments are so well written yeah. and there's multiple of them. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, because how you come across... Yeah. It's, it's it's so it, subjective and it's like, so subjective yeah. they don't know you and your relationship with yeah. these people it's like you know you could just judge from like this little video you're watching yeah. right now everything about us as people yeah and then when you're reading it you like extrapolate it to yeah. yourself maybe, yeah, maybe that's so true is this how yeah. it comes across with other people as well is this like you know have my friends the think yeah. this way there's a way this thing of like how do i look when i'm i'm listening to someone rather than when i'm yeah. speaking is like really in my mind of like I need to not look as if I'm bored because then people are going to be like, oh, I was clearly bored during this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when I was doing those like remote deep dives, like the one we did, because I'd have the webcam above me and I'd be looking at the comments, my eyes would always be pointing downwards and the comments would be like, Ali, stop looking bored, pay attention. I'd be like, oh, like, you're like trying <laughs> you have so hard no to idea what this. it's like trying to run a live stream yeah. with like comments floating out, yeah. all this kind of stuff. But to someone's, uh, if, when someone's watching that, it, it, it genuinely does look like I'm bored. And mm -hmm. so it's all, all this sort of stuff that kind of got to me because it did have a point yeah and especially like the way we come across this it, it is actually someone's subjective perspective yeah um but yeah it's so. also when it touches on an insecurity yeah. you know and they don't know that necessarily there's yeah. an insecurity <laughs> for you but those comments stay yeah. in your head and especially when they like start to shape your behavior or how you do things in future videos mm. like these people. yeah man. <laughs> yeah, the internet's horrible be kind <laughs> yeah what can you do all right, we've got three more. Okay. Um, Kieran says, what does a perfect day look like to you? Ooh, uh, oh my gosh. Okay, I would do my morning routine mm. because I love my routine that sets up a perfect day for me. So I would do my yoga, my meditation, um, preferably outside in nature with some beautiful weather. Mm. I'd have my porridge because I just genuinely yeah. really like that breakfast. Um, and then... I think I would spend half the day alone and half the day with friends. Half the day like walking or I don't know, just in nature, in my, on my own, I feel amazing. Mm. And then on the beach with friends. And then, you know, like when you're like looking at the stars, having mm. deep chats. Mm. Oh, love that. That's a perfect day. Fireside chats. What about you? Mine would be um, get up, do some kind of writing, journaling-y type thing in the morning then do some sort of like sports things so maybe tennis with friends or like a squash lesson or I, w I was actually thinking about this um when i was i was like genuinely trying to plan out my life in london like what does my perfect day look like uh, and i was thinking okay so after the tennis lesson it's it's nine o'clock go to the office slash co-working space to hang out with the team have a few like content brainstorm sessions and stuff and then in the afternoon probably do one of these sorts of podcast interviews because i really like doing these because you yeah. can like really go deep which normally I don't know, there's something weird about having microphones in front of you that like encourages people to elaborate more on their thoughts than they would feel comfortable doing in real life. So I really like that. Then I would do some sort of other activity, probably 5, 6 p.m. 
and then do dinner with friends, um, followed by maybe board games with friends and then like have like an hour of reading in bed before. That's lovely. That would be a pretty sick routine. And achievable, I can make that right? happen. Yeah, it's like, like very that's doable. That's literally, like how lucky, you know, that you can shape your life yeah. around what a perfect day looks like in your yeah, life. It's insane. It's awesome. Like 100%. Um, VV privileged. Okay. Um, Rugmini says, how can one accept failure and move on in life? I think time, firstly, is just mm. amazing for accepting anything. Yeah. I bring back my classic Oxford rejection, oh, yeah. which... Classic. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys don't know, I was rejected from Oxford University. Um, and that was really tough for me at that time. But now that I look back, I'm so happy with my life, you know? Mm. Um, I think, again, reframing what failure is. Failure is just productive it's you know it's, it's yeah. <laughs> going on for like future success um it's just something you can learn from and yeah i think seeing it like almost like zooming out like imagine yourself and then physically zooming out to see mm. everything your whole life the entirety of the world and then seeing this tiny thing that you've done is mm. just really insignificant very nice um like, and, and the final one we've got from instagram is uh from rohan who says describe life in three words Oh my god, I hate questions yeah, like this. Same. <laughs> I'm just like, how the hell do you describe life in three words? Life in three words. Oh my god. Hmm. Uh, fluctuating. Okay, that's a good one. You have to contribute one now. Okay. Fun. <laughs> oh no, can I change it? Yeah. Full of potential. Full of potential. Yes. Oh, okay. Three words. Full of potential. Full of potential. Nice. Potential for good. Potential for bad. Potential for amazing, incredible things. Just full of potential. That's what life is. Fantastic. Um, great stuff. That uh, seems like a good place to leave things. Thank yes. you for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. We, we don't quite have a name yet. I think we, we, we're thinking of calling it just Deep Dive, which was the name that the old version was. But yeah, now we're I remember people like, voting on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Going to get people to like design some logos for it and stuff. Uh, but this has been great. Guys, everyone, get the book. Link in the video description if you want to check it out. And do you have like a, a an email list or something for people in international I actually, I don't. Okay. No. Just we'll, we'll put a Google form or something. You can put your email address in if you want to find out more about this or something. Oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. And, Thank you. Uh, thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you later. That's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you so much for listening. Do check out Jade's stuff. There'll be a link to her YouTube channel and a link to her book in the video description or rather in the show notes. I really need to get better at this podcast thing. If you like this episode, please do leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to the Deep Dive YouTube channel where you can watch the in-person interview and our Deep Dive Clips channel where you can see clips of the podcast if you're more interested in bite-sized chunks of audio. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Have a great day. And always remember, journey before destination. Goodbye.